I get to Hong Kong. Uh, at the time, Jackie Chan had a management company where he was sort of looking for the next generation of action stars. Like, that's what he was doing. And he knew that his name and his, you know, all the things would be a great headline to what he was doing. And he was, you know, kind of training all these young boys. And, like, I was, like, the girl. And they took me on and they um, trained me. His team trained me. And I became this sort of, like action star. And I was a runner, okay? So you have to understand, like, people who aren't runners, like, we're not a flexible people. Like, I couldn't touch my toes at the time, you know? And they're sort of looking at me going, uh, you look strong, and we think you are strong, and we think we can make you into something, but geez, like, this is going to take a while, right? And they're specialists in every discipline. So he's got, like, the kung fu guy, the taekwondo guy, the karate guy, like, everybody is specialized. And so they sort of take you on, and they, they break you. And at least being with Jackie, I had some sort of protection against, or I think it was a protection against a lot of, um, you know, that studio mafioso type of stuff that they do, you know, in all parts of the world, but over there especially, you know, it's sort of like I was his girl in that I was like someone he was bringing up that he was raising in the business. So I wasn't to be messed with too much. You know what I mean? Like there was a sort of a blanket of protection a little bit. So that helped me. I'm Maggie Q, and this is the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody, what's happening? What's the word? This is Rich Roll. So good news is if you are looking for my podcast, you found it. My guest today is Maggie Q. Maggie is an actress. You've seen her. You know her from movies like Mission Impossible 3, Live Free or Die Hard, the Divergent movies, the television show Designated Survivor, all kinds of cool stuff. She's also a plant-based animal rights activist, an environmentalist, an ocean preservation advocate, a fashion designer, an entrepreneur, and basically just an overall super badass, cool human being. This is an awesome talk. We definitely vibed and it's all coming up quick. But first. We all get it. Sometimes the news can really wear you down. That's why Wildcard, a new podcast from NPR, feels like a solution. It's an interview show that gives a special deck of cards to a whole bunch of fascinating guests, all in the hopes of sorting out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, all party game. Wildcard comes out every Thursday from NPR. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested, or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for proper recovery and function. 
Momentus products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentus's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentus for yourself by going to livemomentus.com slash richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. So Maggie Q, Maggie's got an incredible story. Uh, We talked about her unique upbringing in Hawaii, her crazy career arc, her work as an activist, her passion for animals, human rights, the ocean. She's an awesome talker. She's wise, she's fun. She brought her German shepherd, Romeo, who was great. And by the end, it turned into kind of a therapy session, which was cool in its own unique way. And for reasons I think you'll soon discover, everybody here at the studio basically just fell in love with her. Plus, she dropped some epic Tom Cruise stories, including one she's never before shared that uh, gave me chills. And I think you're gonna enjoy it. So here is me and Maggie Q doing the thing. Um, it's super nice to meet you. I'm surprised that we haven't met before. We Me have too. so many friends in common from we the do. whole uh, vegan community, animal rights community. Well, and also you were just so, really like the first that I was aware of that was doing what you were doing on that level. Mm. And it was just, it was so, it was such a, a pioneering move. And so, yeah, I'm really surprised. Yeah, well, I think we've probably been at some of the same probably, sort of yeah. benefit. Yeah, yeah, all the fundraisers. <laughs> situations, you know. I'm so boring um, that like that's that's me going out, going to. I'm a just fundraiser. intimidated by everyone. I sit in the back and I leave early. I try to sit in the back yeah. and leave early, but they always want me to like present <laughs> right. something. Or, you know? but you've been in it. You've been in it much longer than I have. It's uh, been like 20 yeah. years yeah, or something like years. that at this point, right? It really has. Yeah. 
I remember you were part of Earthlings. We're both friends with Sean. Yep. I remember when that movie came out and I was pretty new to the whole thing. Really? And I was at some, I think it was in Woodland Hills or like at Pierce College, there was some janky like veg fest that no one <laughs> went to or whatever. No There's like 10 people there. <laughs> and Sean was like selling DVDs out of the back oh, of his car. Of and that was. was that was when I was With like, tell me what this sleeve. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, of course. We didn't have hard cases. And we watched it, you know, and that yeah. movie's gone on to become quite a phenomenon. Yeah, before it's time, you know, as we were yeah. talking about earlier, I think that um, it was really tough for people to take. And now with the internet, you know, there are images and videos and things you can yeah. access all the time now. But at that time, I just think, I don't know. I always said to Sean, it's not that I think that people don't care. I think they don't know. Mm. And I think once they know, it's hard to not mm -hmm. care. Right. And that was the point of that documentary. Right, well, cognitive bias still kicks in. I mean, that that movie is, Earthlings, when you, it's sort of like, oh, and you gotta like turn away because it's I so intense, you know? Me too. But then you're like, you Me turn too. back and then you have to turn away sure. again, yeah. but you can't forget it. And no. it stood the test of time. And it's still like kind of the touchstone film for, you know, yeah. introducing people to just how dark and gnarly the whole. And it, thing you're so is. right. It is so dark and gnarly. And when, and when, you know, witnessing, you know, Sean as a director, producer, writer, you know, sort of sit you know, in a garage, essentially in a garage, you know, mm -hmm. for months on months and months on end, you know, with 400 hours of, of factory farm footage and going, no, that moment, like right. that cow, that, that act of cruelty, that's gonna matter to mm -hmm. someone, right? Cause it's all, it's all awful. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things that people don't realize is that these filmmakers and the people who are actually making the sacrifice to face this head on and full on, um, they're really brave people. They're people that are incredibly special and they are able to face things in a way where even for myself, I mean, I have pretty thick skin when it comes to certain things. And I think as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm less and less capable of witnessing any of this stuff, you yeah. know? And back in the day, I was a little more capable. Someone like Sean, who's just a gentle soul, um, he can sit there and watch all that cruelty for mm. hours and hours and hours and pick out that moment that's gonna affect someone and mm -hmm. change their life. And, and that takes, it requires a very, very special person. Yeah, it, it is a unique type of individual uh, that, you know, has that kind of sensitivity, you know, out of 100%. the womb, basically. I mean, like the animal thing for you was from the get-go, yeah, right? Like it really that, was. Right, so there's something, I have this theory, uh, I remember talking to Gene Bauer about this. Like, I just think, I just think that Gene, like people like Gene come out different and they, they have, they're like super they sensitive to the way the world operates and it leads them down this certain path. Um, but Gene's not everyone's special. wired that. Cause like I came in, you know, it's, I've been vegan plant-based for 14 years now, yeah. but it, it, you know, animal rights wasn't my entry point. Like right. that's become really important to me, but was that health. wasn't initially, yeah, yeah it was yeah. more of a health thing. Right. And it was like a vanity thing, right, if I'm sure. being honest, yeah, it, there was a course. selfishness to it. Sure. That, um, you know, now, you know, I've become much more attuned and sensitive mm -hmm. and passionate about mm -hmm. the other things, but I'm not wired that way, the way right. like oh, you are or Gene or yeah. Sean or, you know, Joaquin or these other right, people right, that right, right. just, you know, carry that sensitivity, which probably makes their life experience very painful. It, it is, well, it, an empath's path is, yeah. uh, it is really painful. I mean, you nailed it, that's exactly mm -hmm. it, right? Cause you sort of like, you can't shut off that feeling. And I remember like being a kid and, um, 
sort of witnessing just like just cruelty in general, whether it was to a, another adult or a child or an animal. Mm. And I remember thinking, I remember feeling a lot of pain over that. And it didn't have to be my own pain. I hated seeing people in pain, mm. a, a life in pain, let's put it that way. Cause the animals included obviously were, were a big thing, but I, I did witness a lot of that cruelty as a kid. Mm. And I remember um, when it came to the animals, it was especially unfair because they just, they, they had no choice, right? They couldn't get away. They couldn't call right. for help. There's no 911, you know, for a dog that's getting beaten up or mm -hmm. tied outside or, you know, hurt in any way or a cat or whatever it is. Like they, they don't have the resource, you know, to do that. And so it, it does take us, mm -hmm. you know, it does take an outside source to say, I don't think that's right. That doesn't yeah. seem right to me, you know? Yeah. You got it. So Earthlings was like 2005, right? Yeah. Yes. So you couldn't have been back from Hong Kong very long before nope. that took mm -mm. place. Like mm -mm. how did that come together? Um, you know, Sean pioneered obviously everything. You know, Sean yeah. was already on it, collecting footage, doing everything he was doing. And, you know, when I got back, when I moved back from Asia to the States, it was, um, it was like, it, I was, changed by actually by PETA, you know, P PETA was the mm -hmm. group, you know, and as you know, PETA is not a shy group, so. <laughs> no, yeah, not, not quite. <laughs> no, not quite, I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't use that word. Um, but PETA, um, as it were, was opening um, a, a, a an Asian office at mm -hmm. the time. And so I, I didn't even know they had a presence in Asia. Mm -hmm. I mean, PETA's, they're very famous, right? So you know yeah. about what they do at New York Fashion Week and all the sort of stuff, and it's all very sensationalized and 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 kind of like, you know, this sort of fun thing, cultural thing that people make fun of. But in Asia, there really was no representation for the animals. I mean, at mm -hmm. that time, it was sort of like Animals Asia, who's who's still in, in, in business and they've been around for about 30 years. But other than them, like these bigger, more organized groups like hadn't come in. So they come in to open this office and, and that's what changed me. So I was already changed when I was living in Asia because I was sort of like this self-professed animal lover, but was still doing all the things, you uh -huh. know, that, that were, were cruel and, and unacceptable. And so that's why, as we were talking earlier, it's very easy to like meet people where they are and have compassion for people who don't get it because I, I was that person. I can't, you know what I mean? I wasn't born conscious. I wasn't, mm -hmm. I was born empathic. I was born sensitive, but I wasn't born like understanding it from a, from a larger perspective and yeah. going, oh, okay, well, the, it, my action has a chain reaction and this is what's happening in that, in that chain. Uh, so I was changed already. And then when I came over, and met Sean, it was just like that, that perfect timing of like, I was just new and kind of ripe in this. I'd come from a region where animal rights and cruelty and the voice of animals is non-existent. Mm -hmm. And so I was really on fire to, to like get this message out. And I think that the easiest, if you can call it that, the easiest region in the world to do that it is the West, if yeah. you're gonna start with anywhere. Yeah, I can't imagine the, the temperature in Asia around animal rights is anything yeah. remotely similar to what it is here. Not even, yeah. I mean, the, the spotlight, the the discussion, I mean, they're still coming to it and and we're getting there, you know, be, because of this younger generation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we're getting there because of what we were talking about earlier about kids changing their parents and kids right. having a different kind of compassion than their parents did. Um, but you know, I, I'm I'm the daughter of an immigrant mother. You know, my mother like you know fled from a war torn country and yeah. came to the United States. And like, her mo was not like, oh, how are the dogs feeling? You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got to hear save some what cats. my what my daughter has to say about you know the world. Uh, exactly. Yeah. You know, I I remember once complaining about like the toothpaste 
or something. It was too minty, uh-huh. or too strong. It was like some cheap toothpaste. And obviously everything we bought was on sale and we didn't, I didn't grow up with money. And I complained about the toothpaste and she was just like, oh really? Oh really? The toothpaste that we can afford is not good enough for you? Uh-huh. And that toothpaste went away fast. She was like, you know what? You can get a job and buy your own toothpaste. <laughs> so it was very... <laughs> So your mom's your mom's Vietnamese and yes. your your dad was deployed to Vietnam. That's right. Yeah. Vietnam, right. yeah, they met uh-huh. the war. So they yeah. met there. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. But you were born in Hawaii. I was born in Hawaii. I have a brother and sister who were born there, and then uh, they were married. Came here, and then uh, they had three more kids, uh-huh. of which I'm the youngest of five. Right. Yeah. Right. So grew yeah. up in Oahu. Born and raised. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hawaii girl. A Hawaii girl. Yeah. yeah. What was that like? Well, you know, I mean, it's. Your your connection to nature is, and your upbringing is sort of one in the same, right? So there's mm-hmm. no separation between you and like respect for, you know, um, all that we have in Hawaii. And you lived in Hawaii, so you understand yeah. this, right? It's sort of like, we don't litter, we don't do this, we don't do that. I mean, we don't harm the environment or we try to, I mean, there are people, there are always people who do, mm-hmm. do what they do. Um, but, um, we really do sort of live this profound connection to to the world around us. And, and that's a very island mentality. And um, so I think that's what gave me my, um, my connection to the oceans in a very mm-hmm. real way. It was like, I remember just having this respect for the ocean that was so different than people that I'd met, you know, who grew up on the yeah. mainland and whatnot, because that was a world that was undiscovered that we, really know very little about, to be honest. I mean, we know, we know a lot and we know nothing uh-huh. about the ocean. And and yet somehow we feel that the ocean is at our disposal. And I remember as a kid thinking, no, no, this, this, the respect that I had for it was almost like, um, almost like a fear that you have for someone you respect, yeah. you know, yeah, like a yeah. superior. I kind of felt like the yeah. ocean was my superior. And I had this like, you know, this respect that, that came from a place of like almost fear because mm-hmm. they're, they're, it's such an unknown and yet it provides so much for us. Yeah. We take and we don't know much. There is a weird energy in Hawaii. Like you can feel Very it. There's so. a darkness, and oh, there's yeah. a lightness, there's mm-hmm. a heaviness. Like mm-hmm. I find myself, I was there in January for a month on the big island and I Oh, I was there all of December. Oh, were Funny. you? Yeah. On the big island? Mm-hmm. Oh, you were? Yeah, cool. I in love Kona. You definitely have this, there's a sense of reverence, but also like, like, oh, like I'm very conscious of making sure that I put away my garbage in the right way 100%. and that I don't like move yes. any of the rocks. And yes. it's like, I don't wanna like upset, you know, the balance. Pele. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> like, that whiplash you don't want comes her to quick, blow. Yeah, you know, does. on the yeah. island. And I noticed that living in Kauai, I, was t- I had Laird Hamilton here not too uh-huh. long ago and we were talking about that. like. Like you can feel, you know, there's like karma comes faster yes. in Hawaii. I feel Isn't that like, funny? you know, there's a checks and balance. Is, but yeah, there is a sensibility around that. There. Well, it's a very, it's a deeply spiritual place. Mm-hmm. You know, number one. And anytime you're, you have a connection or a closeness to native culture, you're gonna feel that. I mean, I even feel it like when I'm on native land, like in Arizona or in different places in the U.S. Yeah. Like, there's just a different spiritual penetration and awareness in, 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 in everything you do. 
And so there's a checks and balance that's different. It's almost like if you felt that angels or guides or something were closer to you, and you, if you felt that they were watching you. Yeah, there is that sense right? of being watched. Yes, you know? absolutely. And there's also- It's ancestral, know, it really is. Me being like a white dude, yeah. like it's very different. I've spent enough time in Hawaii, like I know what it's like to be in Hawaii, not at the resort, you know, like to be yes. in yes. where, you know, people right. have Real been people living live. for generations. That's yeah, right. like the native inhabitants and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so. There's also, you know, a, a palpable sense of like you're a visitor here. Like this is not your place. Oh, we and, make people feel like right, that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Yes, for sure. Right? Like, oh, you better tread lightly, dude. Right, like, or correct. you're gonna get into trouble, mm-hmm. and it's gonna it's gonna go south quick on you. Yeah, I mean, Hawaii is the only place I know of where like white is not might. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the rest of the United States, and I mean, I, I, the first time I experienced like somebody that was like you know, kind of treated me differently was like when I lived in Japan and it was like a bunch of white girls from Texas and they thought I was Mexican, Uh which and if I was, what's the problem with that? <laughs> and so they started, they wouldn't talk to me. And mm. it was this very strange thing of like, I just never experienced that because in Hawaii, as you know, I mean, everyone's mixed race and there's mm-hmm. really no, and if you're, you know, if you're white, you have to tread lightly. Yeah. And if you're not, you know, it's a different existence. Well, on Oahu is different because it's so cosmopolitan it comparatively it's, to the rest of the big, islands. And it's city. very much like a Japanese culture. 100% right? it yeah. is, yeah, yeah. So you end up going, you have a very like unique and interesting path. Like you, at 17, you end up going to Tokyo yes, to, yes. to model, right, originally? Funnily enough that you say that, it's because when people ask me about that, I go, you know, it wasn't, really that much different culturally from growing up in Hawaii. Like all mm-hmm. my, te- I would say 95% of my teachers growing up were Japanese. Yeah. You know, so I'm just used to that sensibility, the food, the whole thing. But but obviously I was in a huge city, fast, right. expensive city mm-hmm. that was very foreign how to me. Did that, how did that happen? Well, I was just a broke student. I mean, I was an athlete. So I was, a, um, I, my season was um, cross country and then uh, swimming and then track and field mm-hmm. and then, you know, water polo here and there. Um, and so that was my year. And uh, I ended up sort of like, we were all swimmers, my sisters and I, one of them was a diver, but um, I think that it was decided for us. And then as I became an athlete and really got into it, um, uh, my body and my skill dictated that I was actually a runner. Yeah. And that really was what I excelled at. And then um, and then it was distance running and started to get honed in and honed in. And so that's what I got my scholarship for um, was cross country. And I just, um, I, I just, I couldn't do it. I was already living on my own. I was mm. paying rent. I was working retail. I was trying to keep a scholarship. Um, to a private Catholic university that was- On Oahu. On Oahu, uh-huh. that was um, expensive, you know, and it wasn't a full scholarship. It was, you know, yeah. 70%, something like that. So um, there was just really no way I was gonna make those ends meet because, you know, as you know, if as a college athlete, you're training in the morning before school, you're training yeah. after school. And then I had to have a job and all the rest of it. And it was it completely unsustainable, mm. you know? I mean, at the time, you know, I mean, I guess if you had like that support or whatever it was and you didn't have to work, you could make it work, yeah. but I wasn't in that position. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of how it happened. I had a girlfriend, beautiful friend who said, you know, I go to t- Tokyo in the summers and I make a bunch of money and come back. Uh-huh. And I'm like, wow, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but she was a legitimate model. So uh-huh. yeah, of course you go to Tokyo and make money because you have a career and experience mm. and you're, you're an actual model. Mm-hmm. But she was such a good friend and we're still friends today. And she just, I think she felt really sorry for me. I think she was just sort of like, I don't know how this chick is gonna make it. I don't know how she's gonna mm. sustain this lifestyle. And um, she 
got me a contract to go with her and I went with her and it was, you know, it was modeling in the 90s. It was, it was indentured servitude. Yeah, I've heard stories, terrible it's, stories oh, about how, how, yeah, the indentured aspect of it is not oh, good. Like they most pay of the, your all way the money is going towards, oh, they're yeah. overcharging for all these things oh, and all yeah. the money that you make. Yeah, they'll charge towards, you like $5,000 right. US in the 90s for one room uh-huh. in an apartment where there's three other rooms. And right. you're like, this seems like a lot. <laughs> Yeah, that, but, is but you it have no still choice. that way? That sounds horrible. I think it is still that way on some level, especially like overseas, mm-hmm. but it's just sort of like, even just, just the mental aspect of like, we had this agency that was just awful and, and you'd walk in and there was a whiteboard right next to the door where they weighed you every Friday and they would put your names up and like you had the, all the categories. And so you could walk and you could see everyone's weight. So if somebody was gaining weight, you know, immediately you'd go, oh, so and so is a few pounds heavier, you know. But that's that's what it was intended to shame you, Super you know. Broke. And the only reason that I I was like the benchmark, they were like, mm. oh Maggie, so everybody's gonna be like Maggie because she stays skinny. I'm like, that's because I can't afford food. <laughs> like, that's crazy. So you're working and booking stuff, and you still can't feed yourself. I wasn't booking stuff because mm. I wasn't. My, I I sort of booked like one commercial at the end of my long stay there, and it was a big one, and that's how I paid them back. Yeah. But if I didn't get that, I wouldn't have been able to leave because they wouldn't have been paid back yet. So your friend who, you know, so kindly introduces <laughs> yeah. you to this world didn't yeah. tell you this part of it. She did. <laughs> well, she also, <laughs> the dark underbelly. Yeah. But she also- You can come to Tokyo, but we're gonna live a, in a basement and, <laughs> you know, eat, you know. Eat ramen, Chef Boyardee, right. yeah, pretty much. But she she has always lived a sort of charmed life. So she, I think her experience was, she always worked and, mm-hmm. you know, always kind of like was able to pay the bills yeah. and she was popular and very beautiful and people loved her. And so, you know, I think her her view on it was the, her experience. And uh-huh. so it was quite good, you know. <laughs> and did you, was this like a summer thing or did you stop out of it's college It's like a summer thing, it? yeah. And mm. then it, it sort of like bled into the fall a little bit. I, I, I went back to start school and um, I had made enough money to like pay them back, as I said, but mm-hmm. I didn't make enough money to like, you know, right. you know, make my ends meet back where I was. And so, um, so she says, well, you know, next up Taipei. And I'm like, what? No, I hate traveling. I hate being in these places where I don't speak the language and I don't know anyone. This is so impossible. Mm. And she's like, no, 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 Maggie, you'll, you'll, they'll like you there. Like, you know, it won't be like Tokyo where they didn't like you, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> and because um, in Tokyo, what they wanted the the blonde haired, blue eyed. Well, no. What happens girl, in the or? summer is that there's this influx of like Eastern European, you know, like Russian, like every mm. girl and their mother. I mean that literally. They bring their mothers comes to Tokyo and there's like this influx of like four to 5,000 girls that will come during the summer. Mm. So there's there's just a lot of, it's very competitive, yeah. you know? So, um, but we were a handful of mixed girls. So if they wanted mixed race girls, they they knew where we were. Yeah. But the rest were like, you know, pretty white right. girls. So a um, lot of competition and that was the big deal. So I went to Taiwan and when I, when I got to Taiwan, that was actually when this trend of like blonde hair and blue eyes, that's all they mm. wanted. So mm-hmm. I'd walk into a room and they were like, get out. Like, we don't even mm. wanna see you. So it was like, you were either famous and Chinese or you were blonde with blue eyes. Uh-huh. And so that rejection and that part of my life where I went there and nobody wanted to see me and I didn't work um, became very, um, a very lucky actually strike for me because it pushed me to Hong Kong. Right, so how long were you in Taipei for then? I was probably there for like a few months and uh-huh. it was just, just bad. It was just yeah. sad. And then <laughs> speak Cantonese? 
uh, in Taipei was Mandarin. Mandarin. So, okay. and I, you know, I'm not Chinese, so I didn't right. speak a word. I had no clue what was going on. I had no friends. I had no, I mean, I was so lost. Right. So and this is not going well. This is not you're going like, well. You're like strike two. <laughs> like, why don't you just go back to Hawaii? What, you're like, well, I'm going to go to Hong Kong now? I know. Well, funnily enough, she... Um, she, my friend was pissed off, same friend. You know, she went to her agency and she said, I don't understand why Maggie's getting rejected on this level, like what's happening? And she said to her, she said, well, I'll tell you, do you wanna hear the truth? And she was like, yeah, I wanna help her. Uh She said, the problem with Maggie is she's not cute, which is one thing we like in this market and she's not beautiful. And that's another thing we like in this market. Right. They're like, she's she's neither. Uh-huh. And so she falls between the cracks. <laughs> yeah. And my friend was like, oh my God, how awful. And I ended that's up- such you a know, terrible thing to say. Yeah, and she told me and I was like, I don't think I'm those things either. Mm. I hate this industry. It's so terrible. Like it drives girls to the brink of yeah. insanity. I don't want to do this. I just want to go to school and like be an athlete and like, that's what I wanted to do, right. but I, I just didn't have the money to do it. So mm. um, I was like, they're not telling me, so I'm not heartbroken. I don't want to be a model, uh-huh. sucks. This is awful. Like, you know, it's, I wouldn't recommend it. And <laughs> I know you have two daughters. I don't recommend it. <laughs> next stop, Hong Kong. <laughs> Unless next stop, Hong Kong. But funnily enough, like I get to Hong Kong and I sort of like did, I mean, I use the word modeling very loosely. I mean, I did like commercial work, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then within that year, I, uh, at the time, Jackie Chan had a management company where he was sort of looking for the next generation of action stars. Like right. that's what he was doing. And and he knew that his name and his, you know, all, all the things uh, would be a, a great um, sort of headline to what he was doing. And he was, you know, kind of training all these young boys. And like, I was like the girl and they took me on and they um, trained me, his team trained me. And I became this sort of like, Action. Right. So you just you just blew up in Asia. It, it was and it's cr- hard to imagine how big Jackie Chan I mean, was in Asia at that time. Yeah. Probably still, right? Yeah. And in America, you know, because yeah. like he had already hit here and he was huge. So he'd become mm. this global superstar. Mm-hmm. And then in his own in his backyard, he wanted to create another business. And the business was training these young people and creating the new generation of action stars. And then just becoming more of a producer. And becoming more of a producer in that respect and still starring in what he was doing, but not necessarily, you know, like we were starring in these smaller movies and he was still doing his big stuff. So you kind of go to like, action movie star university, right? right like right. you gotta no, really, train truly. in martial arts and become this, you know, yeah. badass warrior for the screen. It really and, and I was a runner, okay? So you have to understand mm. like people who aren't runners, like we're not a flexible people. Like I couldn't touch my toes at the time. Uh-huh. You know, and they're sort of looking at me going, uh you look strong and we think you are strong and we think we can make you into something, but geez, like this is gonna take a while. So what was that process like? Like, what do they have you doing? Well, Jackie has a team of like 10, anywhere from like 10 to to 15 people who are with him at all times. Mm -hmm. And this is his team of like, Martial artists, right? And they all specialize. Those are the same people that fight with him in all the movies, movies. right? So like when I watch Jackie's movies, I know every single person he's fighting Mm -hmm. because I know them all, right? Right, it's the same dudes. (laughs) Right, and what people don't understand is like, you can't just throw someone in a fight with Jackie Chan. Uh He's too good, right? So you have to know him and be able to fight. So basically like his team moves with him and every movie he's in, if there's a villain, like they they have to plug in his guys. They're the only people who can fight him. Wow. So. so what is the tradition, like the martial arts tradition that they 
that they indoctrinate so you. Those are the guys that train you, like his uh -huh. team, right? And they're 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 a specialist in every discipline. So he's got like the kung fu guy, the taekwondo guy, the karate guy, like everybody is specialized. And so um they sort of take you on and they they break you. Mm -hmm. I mean, they break, I don't know. Right. <laughs> but what's it? the pitch? They're like, Maggie, okay, here's the here's the upside opportunity. You're gonna be no. in all these movies. Oh, that but conversation we like, never nah. happens. So what is it? So how So that's a very Western thing that you're so so everything you're saying makes sense in a uh -huh. logical world. And then you're in Asia and nothing makes sense. Uh -huh. So they don't give you any foresight about like where you're gonna head or what's gonna happen. It's basically like here, let's break you first, see how good you are. And mm. if you're actually good, then we'll see where it goes kind mm -hmm. of thing, right? And are they paying you and supporting you in the meantime? No. Or like, how are you no. eating and I mean, I was yourself? feeding myself through like commercials and things like that. Uh -huh. So you got an agent or, I mean, how does it work? Like, what is the, what's the parallel or the disconnect between like the Hong Kong version of Hollywood and like right. Hollywood, Hollywood? Well, there's no unions, there's no mm. agents, there's no publicists, there, none of that. None of what exists here is there. I mean, you have a manager and that person handles absolutely everything you do. Yeah. They're, they're like your life basically, mm. um, but they don't specialize in all those things. So, you know, there's no protections. I mean, there was a time I was on set for like 30 hours wow. and there was no, Nobody uh -huh. said, okay, right. we should probably go back and sleep now. You know, and there's no one to call. There's no like yeah. union hotline where it's like, but hey, you're doing I'm being martial arts badly. and death defying stunts. Right. And tired out of your mind, like mm. re really truly is like a form of torture where you're like, the level of physicality is so high and yet you're just under-resourced in every way. You're mm. tired, you're not getting the right food. You're not, I mean, the whole thing. So it's sort of like the early days of Hollywood where the actor was sort of employed by the studio system. Yeah, and I would just, say You that. go here and you're getting your pittance of 100%. a wage. 100%. I would uh, say that, yes. Yeah. And and at least being with Jackie, I had some sort of protection against, um, or I think it was a protection against a lot of, um, you know, that studio, you know, mafioso type of stuff that they do, uh -huh. you know, in all parts of the world, but over there especially, right. you know, it's sort of like, I was, I was his girl in that I was like someone he was bringing up that he was raising in the business. Mm -hmm. So, I wasn't to be messed with too much. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there was a sort of a blanket of protection a little bit. So right. that helped me a right. lot. Right. Yeah. So you survive all this and you end up <laughs> getting in, I mean, you are under his wing, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this like blows you up into this massive star yeah. in Asia. Yeah. I was listening to the podcast that you did with Justin Long. Oh yeah. And he was like, just expressing like how, amazing it was to like discover like what a big deal you are in <laughs> well, Asia, right? We, we went to, cause we did Die Hard <laughs> right. together, right? So we go to like, you know, they sent us to different places and stuff. And so mm. I go to, uh, you know, we're doing this junket and like Bruce was somewhere and then and then um, Justin and I were somewhere else. And we walked, I think we were in Singapore and they had like hubbed Singapore as like all the Asian press had to come down there cause we didn't have yeah. a ton of time, right? We had a premiere in Tokyo and then we went down to Singapore and then we had to go to the world premiere in Berlin. But we're in Singapore and I remember like we walked into this place and he looks around and he's like, holy crap all the posters are you. Right. Like, you know how you see the diehard poster and it's uh -huh. like Bruce, you it's know, Bruce, with, the, right? with, the, with like the, you know, the small eye, uh -huh. you know, sort of thing that he does, the winky winky. And they were me and he was like, oh my God, like what's happening? Mm. Like, how come he's not up here? I'm like, ah. he's like, yeah. is he not big here? I'm like, he's huge here. And they're like, but he just couldn't, he couldn't wrap right. his head around right, it. Right, right, right. He thought it was the funniest. Right, <laughs> yeah. And is it like, I'm trying to wrap my head around 
you know, that experience being in Hong Kong, like, is there the same, you know, there's a premiere and there's a red carpet and right. there's paparazzi and yeah. there's magazines. And yeah. like, how does that whole like kind of infrastructure around the film industry operate to like it's, create stars and all of that? It's very unruly, I have to say. Like there was a, there was a period of like two years before I actually left Hong Kong and got my first film here in the US. Um, I, I didn't wanna be in this industry anymore. Mm. It, it wasn't, to me, it wasn't something that um, was worth it because the paparazzi issue was so bad and the invasiveness was so, it was, it was so awful, like to the point mm. where, I mean, for me, like I'm, I'm a woman who looks a certain way. And so in that region, you get targeted for different things, right? So I had, um, been having trouble, you know, in the media because I had a relationship that ended, and they were like, "Oh, it must be her fault. She must be right. evil. She must be the, all this sort of stuff." So, like, don't go out, please. Don't go out. Just stay home and let this blow over. I'm like, ah, whatever. So I'm at home and I have a friend call me and he says, "Hey, you know, we're out on the water today. It's so beautiful. You got to come out of the abs. Instructed not to leave my house. I'm not allowed to leave my house." Mm. My friend said, "Maggie, we're on the boat in the middle of nowhere. Like, you know." please come out, like, I mean, please, you're stressed, like, just come, like, mm -hmm. it's just us and just, we're just gonna hang out. So I, you know, I sneak in a taxi and, and literally I had to call the taxi into the parking garage. I laid down in the back seat because they're just sitting oh outside my of my, so right. I get to the thing, I, I, I evade them. I get into this little dinghy, I get to this boat. I see my, a couple friends of mine that I know, I'm so happy and sunny. I'm like, oh, this is so great. And then four days later, I'm walking by a newsstand and there's this magazine and it says in Chinese, Maggie doesn't get out of bed for less than 200 million. And I'm like, <laughs> what in God's name? And then uh -huh. there's a picture of the boat and there's these telephoto lenses. Yeah. And they, they caught me on the spot. I don't know whose, I don't know whose boat it was. Uh -huh. It was a Western friend of mine from but Boston. some big He's fancy like, boat. Yeah, yeah. Some, some, I guess the person who owned it, I didn't even know who he was. Mm -hmm. And I guess I had passed him on the deck. I never met him in my life. Right. Passed him on the deck to go say hi to my friends and they got that photo of us passing each other. And then it was just this three months. So just this is basically attack, saying attack, you're attack. in a relationship with this person. Yeah, oh no, hundred percent. Right. Yeah, or yeah. that I was, um, or that I'm some kind of high class hooker that, right. you know, sort yeah. of like is in this relationship. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. really? I take taxis everywhere. Uh, I mean, you know, what, 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 right. what lifestyle is it that you're That's trying intense. to prove I live? That's intense. So yeah, this is really what, intense. like early 2000s? I started two thousands and I just, I just, it was so gross that I was just like, I don't, this is not worth it to me. It's, mm. it's, it's not, I mean, I don't, I don't typically ever seek attention anyway. I'm really not that person. Like even mm -hmm. here, I mean, I do my work and I go home. I really yeah. am like that boring. Was like, that, <laughs> was that a big part of the impetus to leave and come back to the States? I kind of knew that somewhere I was, I was heading back this way because I couldn't take it anymore anyway. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I, I was in a complicated situation because I, I got Mission Impossible and I was going back to the States in 2005, but my best friend was dying at the time. She mm -hmm. was very ill and she was living there. And so I just sort of had this thing where I got this break but then the person I love the most in this world was not well. And I had been taking care of her already for two mm. years. And now I had to go and do this movie. Mm. And she was always this like uber wise kind of sagey human being. And I remember I, I got the film and I had to say goodbye to her to go to this movie. But I was like, I'm only gonna be gone X amount of months and then I'm gonna be back. I'm gonna be back and I'm gonna take care of you. And I'm yeah. not leaving, I'm not leaving you. And, um, and she looked at me and she was like, you're not coming back. And I was like, no, 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 I, 
what? Of course I'm coming back. And she's like, Maggie, you don't belong here. Mm. I don't want you back. You belong over there. Mm. You need to be doing the things that you're meant to be doing and it's not here. Mm. And it was a weird thing when she said that because it, it hit me and it scared me that, that I'd come back and she wouldn't be there. Right. And, and I kind of- What a beautiful gift. What a, what a beautiful yeah. gift, truly. And then, you know, I Did was on the movie. Did she pass when you were- On the movie. On the movie, wow. And I knew, I knew she was gonna do that. Yeah. I just knew it. I knew that she was gonna let go while I was gone because I knew that she knew I would have come back. Uh-huh. She just, she just did. Wow. Yeah, and she didn't want that mm. and told, told me as such. And so, yeah, yeah it was that also gave you the ability to have that clean break. It did. And right. it was really funny because public perception versus what it is that you deal with. I couldn't go back to Hong Kong for years because I was in a lot of pain over that. Uh-huh. And I couldn't even go back for her funeral. Like the schedule didn't allow me. I couldn't mm. even go back and say wow. goodbye. So it was, and it's not my movie, right? Yeah. It's Tom Cruise's movie. Yeah, like yeah. I don't walk into the production office and go, hey, can you do me a huge favor? I'm number nine on the call sheet, you know? But in Asia, <laughs> did the posters all have you on them instead of Tom Cruise? Like they, with the no, Die Hard no, movie? no, they had, they had all of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, there's so much here that Cat I want to explore. Cat Trump, Tom Cruise, um, <laughs> impossible. First of all, it's absolutely bananas that the first American movie that you book is yeah. Mission Impossible with Tom I agree Cruise with and that. J.J. Abrams. I mean, that's I just agree. insane, insane, right? Absolutely insane. And I want to get to that, but first I want to spend a couple minutes on Jackie Chan still, okay. who's really the Tom Cruise of Asia, right? Like, you know, and there's a lot of similarities. I mean, this guy is like a perfectionist bar none, right? I have said that to everyone who's asked me about it. I'm like, there's no one who works harder than Tom Cruise or Jackie Chan mm. on different sides of the way. Same work ethic, same just tenacity, same leadership skills. Same, I mean, they're very similar yeah. in, in that respect. Right. Yeah. So what did you learn so I would imagine the boot camp under Jackie and his oh, team you like know. really you, you know. know sorted you out and made you prepared oh. like it's crazy like looking back in the rearview mirror mm-hmm. that it all lined up like that like That's had you it. not trained under Jackie mm-hmm. you wouldn't have been able to manage Tom Cruise <laughs> I would imagine By right the way, like that would have just been an energy blast a thousand percent yeah. correct but also I I had a work ethic I think that was just second to none right mm-hmm. like over there you don't there are no breaks, there are no compliments, there are no there is no encouragement. It's like you either get the job done or you don't. You're out. You know, you're mm-hmm. out. You're completely out. And um I was on sets where like you know, I had three or four different stunt women at the same time, you know, because not one of them was skilled enough to cover me in different bases and that in were Hong getting Kong or on Mission in Hong Possible, Kong in Hong Kong that were just getting screamed off set and fired left right and center you know and the, the I mean these are professional stunt women yeah. where the director is yelling at them and saying if you're not better than the actress get off my set mm. and it, I mean it's like that I mean it's it's doggy mm. it's crazy so the training prepared me not just for the level of physicality that I would face when I got to the states but also just the the discipline and the work ethic to be able to just continue to to push through until the job is done right. 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 And there's not a lot of people with that work ethic yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> no, I you know, know, right? I mean, we all heard that, you know, Tom Cruise outburst of whatever movie he was on where yeah, they're the trying to shoot in COVID yeah. and he got yeah. all pissed off because yeah. people weren't following protocols. Right. And it's like, He's the producer, he's the star. He's trying to he's make this, sure guys. the ship is moving and everybody has a job. He has and, every right. Right. To and me. So I heard that and I was like, I was good like, for him. Okay. Right. Yeah. And I 
also, because but, I know him, I know how fair he is yeah. in the professional realm. Like obviously I, you know, I don't know him outside of the professional realm besides his like housewarming, uh -huh. but like outside of that, I'm not like, you know what I mean? On that level, but as a professional, he's fair, you know, he comes to work and he's like, I want everything to work and I wanna provide for people. He's a provider, Yeah. you know, I mean, he's, I mean, I, I'm sure if you did the math, I mean, he's responsible for, you know, right. a lot of what the industry makes. Of course, he sets the bar incredibly high and then incredibly he outworks high. everybody else. And at the same time, it's hard to connect with it. You're like, is this guy a human being or is he like from it a becomes different planet, very robotic, right? Like what is the experience of it actually does. working with that guy? Um, you know, the, he, okay, there's two things. One, he has an enthusiasm like no one I've uh -huh. ever met in my life. And like it's, it just and seems it's almost, it's so off the chain that it feels like, is this mm -hmm. manufactured or is this real? Well, and you're like, oh, thing. I think like, it's real with this guy. When I got How does to, he maintain that? Well, when I got to the States, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know any of the hoo-ha around his new relationship, like all that stuff in 2005. Mm -hmm. Like I just didn't because I just, I wasn't following it and I was on the other side of the world. And so I got back and it was like, it was Carrie Russell, who I did mission with, uh -huh. who I was like, what's happening here? Like, who, who's the girl and the thing? She's like, oh, you don't know about Oprah and the couch jumping and the way I'm like, <laughs> no, my God, what is this thing you're talking about? So uh -huh. we go to lunch and she explains to me, like there's this new relationship and he's like jumping all, all over couches and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well maybe he's just excited. She's like, I don't know, Maggie, there's like speculation. I'm like, oh, this is so weird. And then, you know, as we got into it and we started working, like that enthusiasm, Later, once I knew him, I was sort of like, I looked at the couch jumping thing with new eyes and I went, no, that's him. Yeah. He does stuff like that right. all the time. Like that's not <laughs> over the top. That's what he does. Like we're in Rome and uh -huh. we're filming and his door bursts open and he's like, mm. buongiorno. And he's so freaking excited about the day. And that was every day. Right. It wasn't like- So what is that? Like where where is um, that coming from? Like, well, what is that about? I think that, Number one, he genuinely enjoys what he does. Uh -huh. And I think he still has fun doing it, you know? And I think at his level, my home would fun doing yeah. it, right? Uh, but, but I've worked with other A-listers, you know, at his level in terms of box office or, and pay grade, all that. And they are not enthusiastic about coming to work. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say it's the same as other people at his level. So that's special. And then the other thing is, you know, he, I think that he knows that he is in, a leadership position that can to, can change the tone or galvanize the tone yeah. on a set like that. Yeah. And he's well aware of that. And he's right because I'm not Tom Cruise, but I've been number one on my shows and things like that or movies. And I, it, it is top down. I mean, if you come to set and you're that person, everyone is affected by you, truly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you wanna give everyone a bad day, you can absolutely do that. Right. but. At the same time, like what is he, fifty seven now? Something like, 50, that, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And you know, he's jumping from building to building oh. and breaking breaking his ankle and doing, doing all it. these stunts yeah. and like, yeah. you know, it's yep. it's just like the relentlessness it's relentless to achieve at the highest level is you know, that that engine inside mm -hmm. of him is mm -hmm. like something, you know, you just don't experience with almost anybody you're ever gonna meet. You just don't. Yeah. You don't. And he's been he's like in, you know, decade five of doing this or whatever. It's and true. it's still it's like a dynamo, like it's a nuclear reactor. It really that is. never runs out of steam. He never runs out of steam. I mean, it's almost inhuman what goes mm. on with that person. And I also can tell you from experience that he he does do everything. And right. it's a lot of insurance to insure his movies. Like I would he's, think so. he's yeah, out there. There was all like that footage doing. of where he did, break, he broke his 
ankle, right? Like making Truly. that leap. Oh and yeah. He doesn't oh, have no. to do that. And it's easily done. Like I'm telling you, like I would get into like these like little arguments with JJ about little things on mission that he wouldn't let me do. Uh-huh. And I'm like, JJ, like I am capable. And he's like, Maggie, I need you for the whole movie. I, I can't right. lose you now. We're in month one. It's stupid. Like, let's not take the risk. Right. And then my double broke her ankle. Wow. Jumping off one balcony into another. And he was just like, it was it was that I told you so moment. Yeah. yeah <laughs> he yeah, looked at me yeah. and I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> yeah, the, the story is, and I don't know how much of this is true or apocryphal, but mm-hmm. you do your own stunts. This is mm-hmm. how you were trained in mm-hmm. in, in yeah. Hong Kong. And how much mm-hmm. of that is still the case? I mean, short of JJ saying, I don't want you to do that, sure. are you the person who's saying, No, I'm gonna do that? Like one hundred percent. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it, and it's like a problem for some directors, you know, like they you know, for well, it's example, a risk like, because if you get hurt, they got to shut down. And this is it, right? And they're just like, Maggie, I don't think you understand what's riding on this. So I just finished a movie. I think it's, it's going to be out soon. I think May, um, with Michael Keaton and Sam Jackson. Martin uh-huh. Campbell directed. You know, he did mm-hmm. Casino Royale, Goldeneye, Zorro. Big, big director. Right. And we do this, you know, movie, and you know, there's just things. And he's like, he's like, darling, no. <laughs> and I'm like, Martin, but Martin, Martin. Yeah. And so we would get into these things, you know. And um, one of the things he didn't want me to do was this stunt. I mean, there's two, only two stunts in my career that I've actually had an amount of fear yeah. before, because I really don't have a lot of fear. And so <laughs> there's a stunt on this recent movie where I'm running and I'm jumping, I jump backwards off four stories and I'm taking out these guys on each level. Whoa. And the rehearsal process was really, and Martin was just like, he was just pulling his hair out. He's mm. like, I cannot believe you're gonna do this. I'm not only am I gonna do it, it's gonna be one shot on this, you know, we're gonna yeah. arm out and it's gonna be me. We're gonna all the way, you're gonna follow me all the way down. Cause if I'm gonna risk my, we need to see it yeah. in a very real way. And wow. to the point where like we had a cameraman who actually couldn't get it on the first day. I was 10 hours in a wire, he couldn't get it. Mm. I had to do another day mm. of jumping off four stories because he couldn't get it. Right. I mean, it was, it was just, <laughs> You know that how moment, have you we like, oh. how have you not been in a Tarantino movie? Like I would feel like he'd be the first guy to sign you up to do some crazy stunt, you know, martial I just, arts. I don't like his violence. I just don't. I just not. A fa- <laughs> I mean, like, know. I'm not saying he's not a good director. Like, not yeah. none of that. You know, I mean, it's he's, not your he's, trip. He's kind of. It's, it's just not, not my. I yeah. I really, really dislike his violence. Mm. It's just. It's so gratuitous. Yeah. Like. I like fight scenes in a movie and stuff, but like right. gratuitous and ultra gory is not my thing. Right. I, I really. Um, I want to know more about uh, how you got cast in in Mission. Um, from what I understand, like JJ <laughs> just discovered you, or you know, found out what you were doing in Hong Kong, yeah. and that's how it came together. Yeah, right? isn't that funny? Yeah. Well, I had met this agent from CAA sort of six months before this happened, and he met me at a party, and he was like, "Wait a minute, I'm sorry." who are you, what are you doing here? Yeah. And I said, oh, I, I live here, I work here. And he's like, you do movies here? I'm like, oh, I No movies. accent, wait, you're Yeah, and American. he's like, you're, but you're American. I'm like, yeah, I'm American, it just happened. And he said, you'll be in Hollywood in six months. Mm-hmm. And I was like, he's like, Is that, does that interest you? I said, not even remotely. How could like, it not interest you? Were, know, weren't you I, thinking in the back of your mind, like eventually, like I'll, I'll be able to do something in the States? I don't know what I was thinking. I, I wasn't a long, a big picture person at the time. I think I, it was, there was, I was in survival mode. Uh-huh. And it was sort of like, I was going to just accomplish what I was, what was in front of me to the best of my ability and yeah. hope, hope that I can build from there. 
And uh, and so, so I think I was very small picture at the time, I uh-huh. have to say. And then he um, he just said, yeah, you'll be in high. I was like, uh, that, that to me doesn't spell success. I mean, if I'm, if I'm happy and I, I like what I'm doing, wherever that is, that's success to me. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you have no idea what you're talking about. So anyway, I mean, six months to the month, you know, I get this call, I have to fly to LA. And apparently like JJ had cast like 200 women. I mean, he had seen 200 women mm-hmm. for this role. And he was like, no, it's not, it's not the person yet. So we're not there. So I fly from Asia here and I land that evening. And the next morning I wake up, I am so sick. I cannot even, I couldn't even stand up. I had a 105 degree temperature. I called the casting director and I said, oh my God, I don't know what's happening. I'm so yeah. sick. And she's like, we're, we're coming to get you. We're coming to get you. So she comes and takes me to Paris. April Webster? April. Yeah who's the kindest. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I mean, if anyone's listening and wants to be cast in something like yeah. she's the one, I mean, she's so kind. So she came over, they got me, got me to Paramount. And I'm, I am so sick that I'm shaking. I'm going from like sweating, like fever, like you can't even, like I wanna tear all my clothes right. off to oh, no. being so cold that I couldn't even hold a tea in my hand. Like when I walked in the room to see JJ, my hands were like this and the tea was spilling all over me because I'd gone through a cold spell. And April was like, Maggie, and she really helped me. She said, it's 10 minutes. You're doing three scenes, max. And you can change your life in 10 minutes. Mm. And I know it's you. I mm. just know it's you. So I need you to go in there and get this movie. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, I was delirious. Wow. And then I did the audition and JJ on the spot said, you did it in front of JJ. He was there for the Tom audition. was promoting War of the Worlds at the time. Uh-huh. He was very involved in the casting process, but he couldn't be there. And normally he would be there once it was like kind of honed mm-hmm. into a few people. And on the spot, JJ said, I, I will do anything to get you in the You have to be in this movie. Wow. We're doing this movie together. And I was so sick that I said, I, I, think, I think I have to go to the hospital. <laughs> So I, I go to the hospital. He knew you were sick though. Oh, he knew I was sick, yeah. but he also was just like, you gotta bring it because it's not just mm-hmm. me. I have mm-hmm. to please the you studio heads and Tom that, and everyone right. else, right? So um, I went to the hospital. I woke up the next day in my room, like delirious. I, I almost, I kind of remembered what I did, but not really. Yeah. Cause I was just so fevery. And I had this basket in my room that was, it was the biggest, basket I've ever seen in my life. Mm. I mean, it was like the size of the, I mean, it was, you can't even believe it. And I was like, I don't know anyone in LA. Why would I have a basket in my room? Cause I wasn't sure what happened. And then I sort of had a card on it and I took the card off and it said, um, here's to a great mission, love Tom and JJ. Yeah. And that's when it like hit me that I actually got uh, the movie. It didn't self-destruct though. It did, yeah, it didn't blow up. Yeah, <laughs> I got to eat all the crackers yeah, and yeah. figs. And <laughs> well, what's funny about the way that you tell these stories is you you paint yourself as as very much like this happy-go-lucky person who's kind of just bouncing around and like, yeah. oh my goodness, I didn't know, and like suddenly you're in these crazy you know situations and opportunities. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't happen. Like like part of me is like. I don't buy it. Like right. you're, oh, you're good, I hope. Listen, you if you're Tell me if there's another side well, to it. I don't know how you first of all, you get selected by Jackie and his mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. So you clearly 
not just survive that, you thrive in that. Like right. you rise to the top and you become the person who's the go-to. Like right. you, you're identifying these opportunities and making the most of them. Well, I right? have to tell you at the time, it didn't feel like thriving mm. because I may be moving up the ranks and I may be earning a measure of respect from these people, uh-huh. but they never made it feel like I was thriving. Right. Like they always made, made sure that you were never getting you ahead knew, of yourself. You knew your place, right? 100%. Mm-hmm. So it was a real struggle. And then when I got mission and I was on the film, I still felt like that person who had to like earn everything in every yeah. second, in every moment. And then I remember the first time I got a compliment on MI3. I, um, I couldn't believe it. Uh-huh. I didn't know what was happening. Cause that doesn't happen. It just, cult, it didn't happen for like culture, seven years. That's not part of that, yeah, it didn't right? happen. And so I kind of sat back and was like, what is this thing you've said to me that made me feel something inside that I yeah. shouldn't feel? Cause then, then I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, but the minute you get to Hollywood, everyone's blowing smoke up your ass. Well, that's what I mean, I mean that's, that's so disingenuous, the, right? right? So it's sort of like, there's so many compliments that go on, you know, as you know, you know, this is Hollywood speak of like an agents and people I'd never experienced in my career going, uh-huh. oh, you're the next this and you're that. and, and and, oh, and we know you, you don't know anything about me. You have no idea what you're talking about. Like, you don't know where I've come from. Like I'm a survivor and you're mm-hmm. blowing sunshine up my ass because you think that I'm gonna buy it. Mm-hmm. But the truth is I haven't gotten a compliment in eight years and I don't believe anything right. you're saying. <laughs> so right. like, it never yeah. affected me. Like it never, people were, I mean, they would say things on mission. They were just like, you're so strong and amazing and skilled. And it was I, it was just this glaze. I had mm. this kind of glaze of like, almost like abused child So then glaze. what was the comment that you got where you actually, where it registered, where you're like, oh, this is, this is meaningful. You know what it was? I, I wasn't a person who grew up with a ton of confidence. This is confirmed, like this, this I know. So going into this industry, I did have this work ethic that was kind of built in. I have parents who work very hard and then, uh-huh. and then Jackie, right? And so right. you're, I'm surrounded by these people where it's like, you have to earn your way. There's no free lunch here. There's no like, you know, relying on, mm. you know, your your God-given skill set or looks or any of this stuff. You have to work hard. So, okay. So I had that. And it was like almost like emotional cutting. It was like very punishing the way I went about things and like, okay, I'm just gonna work super yeah. hard and I mean, but I never felt like I had I I had really gotten there. I had earned it. I was I was really worth much. I never felt that way, and that that's a problem, right? Because no matter what you're achieving, you still it's 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 never enough. But not in an obsessive way, in an internal mm. kind of sad way. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until we were actually in Rome. I think it was our first day of filming. We were on the. Tiber River, yeah. we're speeding up and Dom- With Tom- With the speedboat stuff? Yeah, Tom yeah. does everything, right? Mm-hmm. So he's manning the boat, I mean, he's the whole thing. And so we had a guy like kind of crouched on the bottom, <laughs> if we have horse, if we had some like electrical uh-huh. failure or something, right? But he wasn't doing, Tom was doing everything. So it was me, it was the team, right? It was Tom, myself, Ving Rames, and Johnny Reese Myers. Mm-hmm. So we're in this boat and um, we have a, you know, they're changing a lens or something, right? So we're at our ones and we're just sitting there in this boat. And, and there's, it was so intimidating because there was maybe 5,000 people that had lined just to get a lined glimpse of him. Lined up on the side of the river. Oh, right, right. I mean, you, for yeah. as far as the eye could see and you're like, holy shit, I'm, I'm standing next to a movie star. This is a movie star, yeah. like legit, like there's no question this man, like the power that he holds. I mean, just a glimpse of him, like they were, it was crazy. So anyway, I'm sitting in this boat and it, you know, it's a really intimidating day. Although I felt sort of like, no, I felt good about it and it was fine. 
and we're sitting in the boat and Tom's like, Maggie, tell me about your, like, I haven't seen any of your U.S. movies. And, uh-huh. and I was like, I, I don't have any U.S. movies. <laughs> he's and, like, what? Yeah. And he goes, we cast you? He's like, I, I don't understand. What do you mean? And I said, oh, um, th- this is, this is my first U.S. movie. And his, he goes, you're kidding me. And I said, no, no, th- this is my first U.S. movie. And he's like, I don't believe this is, there's no way. He's like, Ving, and Ving's like on his phone or something. He's like, Ving, get over here, get over here. And Ving's like, yeah, what's going on? And he goes, uh, this is Maggie's first US movie. And Ving goes, no shit. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, uh-huh. damn. He's like, Johnny, Johnny, you believe this? And he brings Johnny, and it's like so embarrassing. So Johnny comes over and he's like, Johnny, this is Maggie's first US movie. And Johnny's like, really, no way, blah, blah, blah. You know, so everybody's like having this conversation about me in front of me. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. And Tom's like, let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. You have not done a movie in the US. And then the first movie you do is like a $200 million like monstrosity where we're like on the Tiber River yeah. in Rome, speeding up and down with this 200 man crew, blah, 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 blah. This is your first experience. I said, yeah, that's right. And he goes, you know, Maggie, if you didn't tell me that, he goes, I would never know it. He's like, you act like you belong here. Mm. And I don't know where it came from. I looked at him and I said, I do belong here. And he looked at me and he said, you're goddamn right you do. That's fucking cool. (laughs) We're brought to you today by Brain FM. You know that thing when you have a bunch of intense work that you just have to do, but the mind doesn't really want to do it? You're telling it, come on, focus, but it keeps getting distracted or agitated by nonsense. And you go through this painful sort of mini war to rein it in, to settle it down and just concentrate on the thing. Wouldn't it be great if there was something that would ease or eliminate this process? I don't know, like something you put in your brain through your ears? That would be great. And the good news is that it does exist. It's called Brain.fm, which is this sonic platform that leverages science to create tunes specifically crafted to optimize brain performance for a specific task. Tunes that contain patterns that shift your brain state with something even more effective than binaural beats called neural entrainment so that you can more easily focus on that thing or lure you into the sleep that persistently eludes you. Personally, I notice it the most when I sit down to write. Typically, this experience floods me with anxiety and a near-lethal dose of the big R resistance that Stephen Pressfield talks about. But now, I pop on the headphones, I dial up brain.fm, click the focus feature, and the process becomes, I mean, look, writing is still hard, but now it really is so much easier to get into that state of flow and stay there. So if you're ready to unlock your focus and productivity, I've got a special offer just for you. I asked them to give my listeners 30 days free and you can get it at brain.fm slash richroll. I bet you'll love it just as much as I do. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep 
inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made. And that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fairtrade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic Fairtrade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on birch for about five years. And I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive. And the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health, from fermented food to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily personally for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. Like that's a moment. It was. Right? It was really like I can't believe I just said that to him. I, like, like, got, where did, I got chills just hearing it, that. Well, like, I'm that's like, where did that cool. even come yeah. from? Like, I don't have the confidence to say that, uh-huh. but I know that I put you in paid your dues. eight you were, years yeah, of you blood, did. sweat, and right, tears, right, right. literally. By yeah. the way, and and I was there, and I'm like, well, screw it. Like, why why shouldn't I be here? Mm-hmm. But 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 that is not to say that that I took it for granted where I thought I was like special and like, oh, it had to be me. No, by the way, like, I don't care who it is. It can always be someone else. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be you. It doesn't have to be me. You know what I mean? So it's keeping that in mind, I think that keeps it all into perspective for me in Hollywood. Right, that's such a good story. It's really cool. Like, I'm just trying to visualize it with all the people on the sides (laughs) sides of the, you know, the river and you're in the boat and the whole thing. It was a a whole thing, yeah. Yeah. Again, I don't even know where it came from. Like, yeah. I, I didn't have what it yeah. took to say that to Tom Cruise. Well, clearly you were right <laughs> and he was right because you're still here, <laughs> I know. right? You're Somehow, still doing it. By the grace of God, but go what, I. <laughs> so what happened with, um, I mean, that movie was enormous, but yeah, there were well, all these we had, other mission movies that came after that, right? Like what, how, there, there was some cast changes and how yeah. come you didn't end up in you know all of them? Oh no, they, they called me for, for the other two after that and I was on a show. 
I know, I yeah. know. And Nikita when you're locked into a when, show, what, what, yeah, which, yeah, yeah. Doing yeah. That and yeah. then they called again for five, uh-huh. and I was on this other stupid thing I shouldn't have been on, and then um, I couldn't do it for that reason, which was like ugh, even worse because yeah. it was like something I didn't want to be on. But you're sort of, you know, they kind of own your year, mm-hmm. and there's really nothing that you thing can do. When you when sign was, up for a show, and yeah. that's that's yeah. it, right? And that was it, yeah. you know. So, but you've toggled um, back and forth between movies and TV mm-hmm. like pretty consistently. Yeah, I've been yeah. very lucky. Yeah. I mean, I really haven't done much TV to be honest. Like Nikita was my first thing, mm-hmm. and I did it, and then I did this one thing for one year, and then I did Designated Survivor for three years. Yeah, and like that's that was been my three experience. Years. Wow. Yeah, uh-huh. it was. Yeah, and, and that show's over now, right? Oh, like, yeah. did Netflix yeah. picked up that that? It was ABC season. and then Netflix picked it up. Yeah, for a third season. Right. But I was, you know, I wasn't contracted to do a show on Netflix. So I was like, uh-huh. I, uh, this will be my last. Right. Like, I'm not. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do this for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, please, God. I know you just shot like a pilot for like a sitcom comedy, yeah. right? Like, which is cool because you're like fun and you're, you can be silly and oh, all these things. You. But your screen persona is so gnarly. Oh, like, it is gnarly. You know, so, yeah. Oh, she's badass. She can be intimidating. Like, right, I'm scared to talk right. to her. Yeah, so I know it's super fun. I'm so excited actually to do a comedy. You know, it was funny because I did this um, little movie called The Argument that came out on Netflix and it was like this, um, this, director, this young guy named Robert Schwartzman. He, you know who Jason He's Schwartzman Jason's is? Brother, His right? brother, yeah, yeah. yeah. Such a great guy. And um, I met with him and I don't, it was honestly, it was Robert. Like I uh-huh. met with Robert and we were at a, we were at a at a Le Pen, we're sitting there like having a coffee for like three hours. And the whole time we talked about like, he's like, tell me the work you do with kids. And uh-huh. we, we were talking about like child advocacy. And then that was our whole meeting. It was kind of like dark and sad and uh-huh. about all this stuff that goes on with kids in the US, we're trying to combat. And then we left the meeting and he was like, no, you're definitely this funny person that should be in my movie. I'm like, yeah. Wait, what? It was really funny, but because of him, the creator of the show saw that movie and she's like, Oh my God, mm. that's my girl. Right, she's she's, she's got to do be this. funny. So it, it only takes one person to see you as a certain thing yeah. because you know Hollywood they put you in boxes and yeah. that's where you stay. Yeah, yeah. But you don't, do you know if the, did the show get picked up? Uh, well, that? no, in uh, soon like in May. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. It's usually when they decide. Right. And then there's an upfront, but which there won't be because yeah. of COVID this year. Yeah. So. so the argument that was like was not meant to be a Tribeca. Or, we were premi- we were supposed to premiere yeah. premiere at Tribeca mm-hmm. and then it didn't which you know was sad but did it come out because I haven't seen that movie yeah it came out on Netflix yeah like everything okay. else had to go right. straight to streaming because right it just, right right you know, and then you did that you did a horror movie too right I did yeah I did yeah 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 with Luke Hemsworth oh with Hemsworth we, oh that right? yes yes with, oh he's so great yeah. what a great guy. I've, we had I've so met much him. fun. He's friends with a buddy of mine. I don't know him well, but oh I my god, him, yeah. he's such a great guy, and they're such a close knit group. Those mm-hmm. brothers. I they mean, they really just, are. It's so sweet to hear him talk about like they're, they're just they're best friends, uh-huh. and they really they just, they love each other so much. And like he's just really like my brothers are the greatest guys in the whole world, and I, they <laughs> they feel the same about him. And I'm like, wow, me and my sisters some weren't like that. Intense bro energy. Well, they all lived in Malibu, and now they all live in Back Byron in Australia. Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. exactly. Yeah, but I know. Anyway, I mean, what a threesome. Holy yeah, they shit. they travel together, <laughs> and also, you know what? Raised right. Because yeah. when you're around people who are raised right, you just know. They seem like good dudes. Super like, yeah. super down to earth and just like mm. connected and good to their wives yeah. and kind. And yeah. you're just like, wow, what a wonder. I know, you, just, <laughs> you root for them to be successful. You, you yeah. actually do, yeah. you know? I mean, for some of them, like they're so tall and good looking and everything. And you're like, wow, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of unfair. But then you're yeah. like, no, you're actually a good guy. Uh-huh. Like I'm really happy <laughs> about that. Cause there's plenty of guys who aren't yeah. good guys who make it really big. And uh-huh. you're like, really? 
So it's nice to see that. Yeah, we should mention that you brought Romeo, your dog. He's, the, he's the wandering row. around. Um, kind of worked out for him because, as I said, he got in trouble this morning. How um, many dogs do you have? Now? I have three. You do? Yeah. But so you I have. Like, a, didn't you have like eight at some? I point? I had eight or? at one point. Right. Yes, actually, when Sean and I were doing uh-huh. Earthlings, like that time, I had eight, mm. and it was actually Caesar Milan who had come over to my house because I've been having. You know, I I rescued the big troubled. You know, I don't rescue Shih Tzus. Like mm. I rescue like pit bulls and you know whatever yeah. German shepherds and all that sort of stuff. And the ones that have problems that people can't help. I'm like, oh, I can, I can handle this. Right. You know? <laughs> right. And I couldn't. And I had uh, these eight dogs and they were killing each other. And so I got oh. Caesar Milan to came over and he basically was like, put it all into perspective. And he's like, you can't make a difference by taking them all home. Mm. Like if you want to be an advocate for them and you want to do mm-hmm. like big picture stuff for them, that's what you do, Maggie. You take as many as like you're capable of yeah. and you leave the rest, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and I was like, this dude is so right. He really, I mean, he was just like, because then you become a shell of a person, which you are right, right. now, just like frayed at the ends. Yeah, and that's another thing that I've talked to, talk to Gene Bauer about. You know, as somebody who who you know owns a sanctuary, it's like you want to rescue all these animals. You have this pull, this yearning, this this call to action. You do, but at you know at some point, you know, at what cost? Like you can only do so much, and you have to make peace with the fact that you can't rescue all. all of them, you can't do right? It all. And that right. on some level, like farm sanctuary. Operates as a symbol, right, sure. or as a music, sure. or as a, an opportunity to bring mm-hmm. people in and educate mm-hmm. them, and, and onwards they go. As much as hopefully. it is about those animals themselves, right? Well, and and the thing is, if you try to do it all, you're also like you know not creating opportunity for other people to fill that space. Mm-hmm. Like you have to realize that, like you know, it's all kind of metaphysical, isn't it? Right? You know, yeah. we sort of live in this life, and there will be voids, and there are people who will fill them and you have to you have to leave the door open for that yeah. right yeah. and th- and that is a thing and it does happen but you have to believe that right we were yeah. talking about this before the podcast that that um with you know baked into being that kind of empath is almost this uh feeling that that you you kind of have to be a martyr like it's not okay to actually thrive in the world, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Like you can't be both Mm -hmm. and that's uh, not true, you know? And, you know, some of the people that I've become very friendly with and I'm close to are now investing in, you know, some of the biggest meat alternative companies in the world and they're not, if I close the door on them, you know, they're mm-hmm. not vegan, they're not right. veg, they're not whatever, but you, you don't close the door on people, right? You don't close the door on any opportunity because you can maybe have an effect in a way that yeah. you didn't believe was possible if you're not putting an expectation on someone that's your own. Well, it's such an interesting time. I mean, you've been doing this for 20 years. I've been in it for 14 years. And the difference between then and now is like Crazy. insane. It's right? insane. And at the same time, with all the progress and all the kind of mainstream information and enthusiasm around this type of lifestyle and living more sustainably and more consciously, there's also, you know, on this point of of meeting people where they're at or not talking down to people, there's so much, you know, acrimony and infighting within these subcultures and communities. Oh, 100%. Like vegans who are angry that, you know, that the you know, abolitionists burger versus King reformists. Has a, has, yeah. You know, sure. a plant based burger and sure. how we got to boycott them because they still use, you know, they're mm-hmm. still selling beef. And it's like you got to celebrate these wins and meet. One, and, I agree. And, and it's like, okay, like you're 
at, at a place in your life where you're not the customer for that Burger King plant-based 100%. burger, but there's so many other people that can benefit from that, or Absolutely. that's their entry point. And it's their entry point. Being compassionate yeah. to that and and putting out a welcoming, you know, right. welcoming mat for anybody, wherever they are. Anybody, meet them. Also, you create a bigger demand within those industries you don't agree with, and who knows what that's going to mm-hmm. turn into? Like you don't. You don't know. You have to, yeah. There's, you need, you need all the voices. You need That's the right. hardcore radical, mm-hmm. you know, person you who's you like, yeah. you know, <laughs> the PETAs. Yeah, and then the That's H fine. and then the humane society, and then you and need all the their, person who different. can work within McDonald's to Agreed. create change from totally inside. Agreed. I mean, I work, you know, with a group. I'm on the board of a group called Social Compassion and Legislation. We do leg- a lot of legislative work up in Sacramento and. You know, it's that it is the epitome of that, right? Mm-hmm. So you're sort of like, you know, you're going into these meetings with these senators and assemblymen and people who can, you know, these are lawmakers. These are yeah. people that that really essentially work for us, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, I go there and I'm, you know, sort of lobbying senators and you know, <laughs> in this building and yeah. and then there's no one there and I'm driving down Melrose and there's 40 people in line for lip gloss. Mm-hmm. And it it bums me out because it's like we have so much influence. You know, all you have to do is care. All you have mm-hmm. to do is show up. Half of it's showing up, right? Life got to show mm-hmm. up. And then once you show up, you know, you you really have to like be in those rooms with people that you that that may not get it, but what you're going to do in those rooms can be pretty yeah. remarkable. Well, yeah. it's one thing to be uh, a proponent of this lifestyle, and it's another thing to really shoulder that mantle and carry that mm-hmm. responsibility yeah. to use like the platform that you have to yeah. to advocate, you know, on behalf of these causes. So where does that like come from in you? Cause it would be very easy for you to be like, I'm just, I'm doing my movies. I don't wanna make waves. Sure. It is much easier to do that. People. Yeah, I yeah. know, oh, I know it, trust. So where's that, where does that pull come from? I, I kind of feel like, it's almost not even a choice in that, you know, we live this very privileged existence like in every way, right? And I mean that um, in things that I've earned, I mean it in things that I'm living, like, okay, I'm given my health. I have this mm-hmm. like gift of health and I can walk and I function. So that's a gift. And and then I've earned these other things where I work in Hollywood and I have certain privileges and, and you know, you, you, you start to develop a voice for certain things and, it doesn't feel like a choice. It feels like a responsibility, you know, doesn't it? When you sort mm-hmm. of, when you have a lot, how do you not, and it can be anything, you know, pick what it is that you sort of feel um, isn't right in your mind, in your heart, in your soul. And you go out there and you really, you, you fight for it. And you hope that other people will do the same when something matters to them, because I'm sure you get this all the time. I've gotten it for 20 years. Like, oh, you don't care about kids. You don't care about women. You mm-hmm. don't care about, you know, libraries, right. I don't you, know. Because you've chosen to advocate for one thing that's at the exclusion of other things that are important. This is exactly <laughs> right. it. I'm like, you're so right. Yeah. I hate children because I love the environment <laughs> right, right. or whatever it is, yeah. you know? And it's sort of, the, there's always this line. And so it, it's always this thing of like, you know, I have people that, you know, write into me and go, you care more about homeless pets than you do about homeless children. I'm like, interesting. And I said, I'm so glad that you care about homeless children. Well, I do. I said, well, t- well t- tell me more. What do you what do you do for homeless children? I'm fascinated. I want to know. Mm. Nothing. Crickets. Absolutely nothing. So I've never ever run into a person who puts themselves out there, who advocates for something they care about, regardless of what it is, who has ever criticized me. Mm. 
you know, and I'm in rooms with women's rights activists, my human rights friends in DC. We all kind of look at each other and go, thank you for what you do, because mm -hmm. what you do matters mm -hmm. in your lane and in your category. Mm -hmm. It's always people who do nothing, who have a ton to say yeah. about what you're doing. How often have you gone to Washington and done well, the Hill thing? God, I'm set to go this year. To, I just got off a phone call yesterday because we have, um, you know, we're really, on the on the move, on the march for more uh, federal funding for some of the child protection stuff that I do. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's really, um, really daunting when you look at sort of budgets and, you know, what our policymakers and lawmakers, you know, allocate for certain things yeah. and not for others, right? And um, I sort of went down this rabbit hole many years ago where it was like my, my birthday weekend and there was this child abuse uh, prevention summit that I went to in San Diego. And I was, um, I was there for the weekend and the rabbit hole for me was huge because everyone was there. Everyone from the CDC to child protective services to forensic physicians to law enforcement, everyone was there. So it was this think tank of how do we better protect children? Mm. And the CDC had done this presentation and to be very honest, I, it was really quite boring. And then towards the end, she busted out this sort of graph and it was like almost like this Sputnik kind of chart where at the center, was abuse and neglect. And then everything that came from that, you know, sort of um, armed off into all these different societal uh -huh. issues. And I remember like, that was like the moment where the, it just dropped for me, where I was looking at everything from suicide to opioid addiction, to alcohol, to teen pregnancy, to high school dropouts, to everything that you can think of, like in the 80th mm. percentile was stemming from- All tracks back to all, abuse in the home. Right, from when, when in your formative years, when, mm. all of, when you should be forming in the right way and, and you know, you're being betrayed and taken advantage of. And so um, that was it. I mean, that was it for me. It was just sort of like, I had read a couple um, things in the Los, uh, LA Times over the years. I remember eight years prior, I had read this story about this kid who was, like tied to a chair by, by his mom and, and boyfriend and he was beaten to death, he was six. And he had a, they had a file on him, you know, the, the Child Protective Services, mm -hmm. like he, he was, they were under investigation, but we were failing here, right? We're failing. Yeah. And then eight years later, um, I read another story that was very similar with a mom and, and, and the boyfriend had killed this kid, he was like eight. And the second time I had read about it, like that fury in me, like the same thing I have for the animals and all that sort of stuff in the environment, I couldn't ignore it anymore because it was something I think it was very, like very, it just felt so personal. And mm -hmm. I was so angry that we were failing kids. And these are the kids, by the way, that grow up to abuse their partners and animals and all the rest of it and, and not care because they've been so disenfranchised and, and they're in so much pain that there's nothing that they can care about outside of their own pain. Mm -hmm. And again, this is stemming from the mm -hmm. very, very early years. So I'm like, if I'm gonna make a difference in some of the stuff I'm doing, like we talked about earlier about getting them young, we really have to do everything we can do to protect them at this young age. And that means exploitation, means all the trafficking, abduction, all, abuse in the home, all of it. And so I did, I got involved about four or five years ago and I have not stopped since. And mm. so this year we're going into DC and we're, we're really, we've got to get more money from the federal government for these programs because it's really the technology that's going to protect right. these so kids. Right, so what, what is the solution? Like, where do you direct those funds or what are the policy changes well, that right can now, really move oh, the needle? Policy is tough, right? Because, you know, if you depend on the federal government to do what you need them to do, you're going to be waiting a very long time, right? So yeah. <laughs> I work with a group of former police chiefs, federal agents who have, um, 
uh, created this group called the ICAC Cops is the Internet Crimes Against Children Child Online Protective System. And this is a system that actually finds predators Mm -hmm. online. And so a lot of the money really goes to upping the technology, right? Because if you're talking about criminal activity, they're they're good at what they do, unfortunately. They know what they're doing and they know they're trying to figure out how you're detecting them and they're trying to evade you at all costs because this is something that they are absolutely addicted to. And so you have to stay ahead of them and that Mm -hmm. takes money, right? Mm -hmm. And it takes technology and it takes manpower. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, DC this year is gonna be, you know. That's dark though. That's a lot. It's dark and it's something people don't take on. Yeah. You have to create an emotional boundary around yourself too, I, I would imagine I'm also you, just you to have be able to. to you know deal. I'll tell you that this particular area of protection that I work in is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Mm. I could I'll jump off a building, I'll do whatever it is, you know, like making earthlings with Sean and seeing what I saw and what humanity yeah. has done to animals at that time. And then now seeing what humanity does to each other, those are the two darkest times I think for me, Mm. darkest stuff I've ever seen in my life. And and the reality is it's happening. And this is not a subject celebrities are gonna take on. It's too dark. And it's actually not something I've ever talked about. Something I've done very quietly for yeah, a long time. Yeah, I, I, I haven't heard you talk about this that much. I mean, I've it's ne- all about. I've, I've never talked about plenty it. on the animal rights stuff. Plenty but. on the animal rights. For me, it's defenseless, right? Mm-hmm. It's defenseless. It's, it's, yeah, lives. It's, it's the same theme. It really is the same right? theme, right? Protecting I look at the them people the that same. can't protect themselves. This is what it is, you know, and it's it's. Um, I don't know. I think like going back to what you said, it is a social responsibility. Mm -hmm. And if you have any kind of voice, I mean, look at what you've done, my God. If you have any kind of voice, you can truly, if it's authentic, you can really turn it into something very special. Mm -hmm. I do believe that. So when someone comes to you and says, you know, I have so much respect for what you're doing or it's so courageous, but you know, you have this platform, I don't have that. Mm -hmm. Like, how can I get involved or Mm -hmm. how do I make my voice resonate more broadly? Sure, well, here's the thing. You have to believe number one, because there are celebrities as we talked about earlier too, who have platforms, they don't work. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there are big singers they put in movies and no one goes and sees them and they have, 60, 70 million Instagram followers. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't translate in that way, right? Or you could be a Gene Bauer who like was living in the city and mm. finding a stray chicken lamb da, 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 and taking right. it into his townhouse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And, and make this enormous splash. I mean, there was no, he didn't have a leg up. He had no money. I mm-hmm. mean, they were really struggling at that time and they had a heart full of authenticity and compassion. Mm. And so, you know, it has to be real. And if yeah. it's real, I do believe you can create a platform. I don't care who you are, you can create a platform. I mean, there are mm-hmm. people with platforms who don't deserve them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so- <laughs> well, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> so if you really care and you stand yeah. for something, uh, I, I do believe there's a lane for you for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanna go back to the ocean stuff because you've Great. got this cool company, Keep Up. Um, that's all about ocean preservation and, and recycled, making garments out of recycled plastic. So yes. tell me about that. Um, it, it's been so exciting because I didn't, I didn't come out the gate going, yeah, mm. I wanna be a businesswoman or I wanna you know, do it in this way. For me, it was, um, 
you know, advocating for the oceans for the last 20 years and working really closely with some of the, the best and the brightest in ocean protection for so long. And, and I mean, really literally on the ground with them and in the trenches mm. for like 15 years with them. Um, I know what the issues are firsthand. And one of the big issues besides, you know, poaching and everything else we do in, uh, to our oceans is this pollution, uh, yeah. plastics pollutions issue. It is a huge issue right now and it's not stopping, you know, and this is an industry where we, you know, we created these plastics, which became a miracle, especially in the medical world for transport and all this sort of stuff. But we never regulated it because it was just something that was gonna make so much money that mm -hmm. we didn't care what the consequence was. So now here we are generations later dealing with the consequence of, of um, people who, who got very, very rich from mm -hmm. creating this convenience. It's actually insane that single-use plastics are it's like insane. legal. It's so know, incredibly irresponsible. Even if, even, even just like water bottles. Oh, it's crazy, right? it's crazy. The amount of water bottles that get thrown out every single day and just end up, you know, where they shouldn't. Where they shouldn't. And, and that's really what it was, you know, and a lot of these, um, you know, very large marine mammals that are washing up and, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're cutting them open and it is a really bad situation. And then obviously, you know, when that breaks down the microplastics and everything else that's happening. So we're doing our ocean a massive disservice and, um, I started researching recycled materials about uh, a decade ago. And although the technology was impressive, the product wasn't up to par. Because for me, again, like we talked about earlier, like mm -hmm. I'm not gonna take someone to a vegan meal or a vegetarian, whatever yeah. meal, if it's not the best meal they're ever gonna right. have. If this it's not the, the best problem. meal, this is the problem. And it's certainly, yeah, in fashion, it's like, we oh, all yeah. wanna make conscious choices and wear the sustainable cool but stuff. But if it's ugly. But, but like, I mean, it's getting, now it's getting there, getting but there. there was a long stretch where it was like, yeah, it's but I'm bad. just not gonna wear that. Yeah, like if you're not <laughs> like, if you're not like a full right. on hippie yeah. who has nowhere to go, who right. kind of like, you know what I mean? Pitter patters yeah. around and does their thing. I mean, if you're a working professional, I mean, mm -hmm. you gotta look a certain way right. in certain environments and that wasn't available. You're so right. And so when I saw the technology and what they were doing with kind of the yarns and it was so cool, but it wasn't there. It just mm -hmm. wasn't there yet. And I was like, I can't create something until we're at a level where I can create a product that's gonna be equivalent to the Nike or the this or the that that's out there mm -hmm. where you're not making a sacrifice um, to benefit our planet, yeah. right? Like, I don't want you to make a sacrifice. Right. I want you to think it's good and yeah. it performs. And um, and it's you wanna make Elon that choice. Elon Musk idea, like it's not enough to have an electric car. The car has to be better than all the other cars so that everybody wants it. He's so remarkable. I mean, truly, like I, I look at his interviews and, you know, I sort of like, I listen in on his, you know, when he speaks and as a businessman, just a mm. straight businessman, I mean, he, he just makes so much sense in his approach. You know, you have to, you have to create a product that's, it can't just be better. It has to be yeah. way better than your competitor. It has to be, you know, and I was very affected by that being open to criticism and hiring the right people, you know, all the things that he sort of advocates for when you start a business, uh -huh. he's bang on. I mean, obviously, clearly look at his success. Right. Um, he's got some crazy tweets out there too. He does. No, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, you're not gonna get <laughs> yeah. that without yeah. a level of crazy. It's just uh -huh. not gonna happen. But at the same time, um, he does know how to build a business. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I'm just looking at, at sort yeah. of that no, element of what he does. And so I said, okay, all right, I'm gonna come out with something that is 
the best in its category. So, okay, obviously there's active, we're out there, but we're the first 100% recycled line. Mm -hmm. And our quality is like second to none. Mm -hmm. Like it's, there's no difference between what we're, what we've come out with and what's out there in a non-recycled version. So where do you get all the recycled material? Like how does it work? So my dream, and I've been able to do it in the US and hopefully I'll be able to emulate this in other parts of the world. Uh, And we we are gonna be able to do it in China, which is nice, but I wanted to create a company that was, that was founded in the US, made in the US from US trash. Uh-huh. That was, you know, um, that was the goal. 100% so, US garbage. 100% yeah. US garbage on 100% <laughs> Americans. Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, we, they, they collect uh, ocean plastics off of the Eastern seaboard. And those plastics are then shipped to North Carolina. Mm. In North Carolina, that's where all the factories are. And so- But how do they get the, do they, they troll it out of the, they out of troll the ocean? It, they right. troll it, um, they troll, but they also, so oceans plastics, uh, um, I guess the the literal definition is um, anything f- that's two miles out from the ocean and anything that's ten miles out from the shoreline. Mm. So there's this because anything that's they've done the research anything between that's two and ten between two and ten anything that's within that two mile race is going to end up there and anything out there is you know something right. that we we have access to. But you know three quarters of what's in the ocean has sank. Right. So we're not even seeing, you know, mm. what the actual, you know, the, the the biggest part of the problem looks like, which is actually very scary because there's a lot of images out there that are already scary, mm-hmm. and that's not even, you know, the the bulk of the issue. So um, that gets shipped, uh, melted in North Carolina, flaked, and then turned mm. into yarn, and that yarn is shipped here to LA, and then we um, we have our we make our fabrics in a in a fully integrated facility, um, vertically integrated, which means that everything mm. happens under one roof so we can control the quality. They dye yeah. there, they create the fabric there. I've walked the floor of every single one of our factories. I've talked to all of the workers. Everything's ventilated, everything's certified B, everything yeah. is, you know, I mean, it's, it's people are, cool. have paid vacations, they have health insurance, like uh-huh. this matters. And if you're an owner of a company and you can't do that and you can't say that you've done those things and you know right. how your stuff's made, then I don't know what most you're doing. Most can't and most don't. I know. But I feel like that you were talking earlier about, you know, how the young people have a voice now that they didn't they used do. to in prior generations. And it's the young people who are driving the train in terms of, you know, making more conscientious, conscious consumer choices. And, and they want full it transparency. It is upon any corporation now mm-hmm. to be transparent about all those yeah. things so yes. that we can make an informed decision. And this is it, you know, they wanna know and they wanna know from the ground up and they actually care, which is exciting, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I sat with a group of like college kids and they were asking me about the company and they were talking about like, well, you know, tell us more about, you know, uh, not create, if you're creating a product, aren't you creating? I'm like, well, okay, so we're taking this trash, we're milling it into this. Our packaging is 100% biodegradable and disappears within a year in a landfill. There's no chemicals in it. We don't have hang tags. We heat press everything. Like Mm -hmm. there's nothing coming, even our mailers are biodegradable. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing coming off our product that's going to the trash can. Uh That's not gonna- And you're a B Corp. And yeah, exactly. So we, you know, we we di- we did it because that's who we are, uh-huh. right? We didn't do it because it's like, oh God, there's this. We built this company, now there's pressure to change. Again, I don't care why they're doing it. H and M, all these people. Like, if you're gonna do it, great, do it. But we built a company with an incredible amount of integrity, and it was really hard because it's yeah. it's not the easy road. It's more yeah. expensive. It's more time consuming. Like lead times on recycled fabrics are way longer. I mean, right. we can't turn over the way other companies yeah. do. And I'm sure the margins aren't what they would be. No, I mean, H and M is successful for a reason. For you a know? reason. And I feel like there's 
a lot of companies that just pay lip service to the idea of sustainability. 100. What's because a buzzword? Like make, you know, just make make our marketing green, you know, like literally the color. Literally green. the color green. Yeah. We're just gonna throw the color green right. at like so Clorox that people feel, does that. They right. put like green they on their bottom. They feel better about it, but there's so actually, <laughs> you know, they're not making any real fundamental changes. And there's, there's, because it is hard to do to do it the way that you're doing it. It's really hard. And if it's not the spirit of what you do, you're gonna like do all, make all these cosmetic changes, right? Mm. Where we're under, under the makeup, you still have bad skin, yeah, right? Just cause no one's seeing it doesn't right. mean that the issue isn't there. And so that's why I encourage like young people, whatever, middle-aged people, older yeah. people, like, you know, there's a lot we can learn from the younger generation. And the fact that they do their research and they wanna know, we should, be doing the same thing because everything that I've done, whether it's activism or business, I mean, Wild Aid's one of my biggest groups and I've been with them for, for like 16 years. Um, we do consumer campaigns, right? And that's who we target. Mm -hmm. We target the regions who consume the most, rhino horn, ivory, shark's fin, manta, like we can't police the oceans. We can't police Savo and the Serengeti. We, we can't, it's too big, it's impossible. And so, who are we gonna to speak to? We're gonna to speak to consumers, So, right? So in business, you can speak to consumers in a positive way and say, hey, put your dollar towards this. You're gonna make a positive change for these reasons. And on the flip side with the activism, we're like, don't put your dollars towards this mm -hmm. and you can make a really positive effect in this way mm -hmm. and for these reasons. And so it's very powerful either way, but, but either way, you have to empower consumers. We are so powerful. I mean, if we wanted to shut down I don't, Walmart, let's say, mm. tomorrow, we could do it. Mm -hmm. If we all just decided not going there, 40% of your workforce lives below the poverty line. You guys aren't paying people and they're full-time workers. That's disgusting. That's why I don't go there. Mm. But if we know these things, let's put our dollars into businesses that aren't doing that. Mm. Should a full-time worker be living in poverty? No, not in any business. Right, the problem is that most people, yeah, you have this cohort of young people who care about this and are passionate about it and are thinking about this in a way that you know people who are older aren't. But you also have a huge swath of the population that's just trying to, they're just trying to fucking make a living. I get and, it. Know, it's like I I Walmart's the only option. I know, and, and it's you know, cheap. They got four kids at home mm -hmm. and it's like, what you're telling me I can't go to Walmart? Like sure. screw you. Like, sure. So we need both. It's like we, we were both. saying earlier, you need that consumer activation where mm -hmm. we ha we can like marshal that kind of incredible power right but we need systemic change and we need you know That's policy right. change at the highest level to prevent these things from occurring in the first place mm -hmm. That's so 100% it <laughs> like, these are not easy problems Well you have to you know? hit hit it from all sides yeah. right I mean you know we we um passed the California Cruelty Free Cosmetics Act. Mm. And by 2023, yeah. California is gonna be, this is the fifth, fifth largest economy mm. in the world. And we're no longer going to be, have animal tested cosmetics yeah. in the state. The cosmetic stuff is insane. It makes no yeah. sense. This is not life-saving anything. This right. is so trivial. This is- And you have the kind of animal testing, but on top of that, all the toxins that are in all of those products that go completely unregulated. Uh, yeah. It's insane. And this is it. But again, if you empower consumers to demand a certain thing, mm -hmm. your legislators and lawmakers are going to listen because they're, they wanna please yeah. their constituents, right? And they also know that the young vote coming in is going to be massive for them. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean look how they target. I mean, we just look at patterns mm -hmm. on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. It's 
pretty obvious if you can spot patterns and you have that kind of mind. I mean, they are marketing to a group. Mm -hmm. That group's going to demand a certain type of change. Now it takes us to go in there and say, well, let's make these changes. Let's start doing different policies. Yeah. And, and that's what it is. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And 
they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Speaking of policy changes, let's talk about they're trying to kill us. Like our mutual friend, John Lewis, is mm. how we got connected. You're in that new movie. I've had John on the show a couple of times um, and Keegan. Um, as well, uh, and I'm pretty excited about this movie coming out. I'm not sure when it's gonna come out yet. They're still working on it. Yeah, when is it coming out? I'm so excited, I, mean, I can't unclear. wait to They're just- They're still finishing it, but they are, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's, it's gonna be epic and it's all about, it's all about um, food deserts and the, you know, the, the sort of um, imbalanced treatment that uh, socioeconomically challenged communities are in with respect mm -hmm. to access to good nutrition mm -hmm. and the messaging around that, that is mm -hmm. having a disproportionate effect on, on those populations yeah. and driving them towards these chronic illnesses. And That's right. Resulting in many deaths. Many. So how More did you get involved than, in the, how did you get involved in the movie? Well, I think too, you know, when he's talking about, you know, sort of these more disenfranchised communities and minority populations who are dealing with this, you're talking about many things. You're talking about black and brown communities. You're also talking about like immigrant Asian communities mm -hmm. as well, who mm -hmm. are dealing with like, we got to buy the cheapest thing. Yeah. We have to make it like you were saying earlier. Well, the liquor um, store, the bodega on the corner that's is what really it is. the only viable option for and, a lot and of people. You're right. And the fact that, which they do highlight in the documentary that there aren't even grocery stores in some of these communities. Yeah. There isn't a grocery store that you can walk to, right? There's fast food joints, there's liquor stores, there's, there's everything in communities that will kill them. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and that's all we give them access to. And the fact that they, they, they don't have the voice or the power to, to speak out against what it is. And if it's all you've ever known, that's, you yeah. don't even know that there's anything to speak out against, yeah. right? I mean, and how sad is that? And they, on the other, on the flip side, you know, with the things they're actually buying, you know, we have been on every level marketed to within an inch of our life. And I don't understand why people aren't truly making that connection between being marketed to and, and whether they personally care about you. Mm. Does that make sense? Like I, people get like, they get really aggro about like, you know, if you attack their food, if you say, well, that's not good for you. And they get very upset as if it's something personal and you're going, no, 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 all I'm telling you is that, you know, th mm. they, they don't care about your health. So you probably have to make different choices. But I feel like it's a similar dynamic if you were telling someone that their boyfriend was cheating on them or something, they're like, how dare you? Yeah. How dare you like mess with like the thing that I know? 
the thing that I'm comfortable with that matters meaning, to me. Meaning in other words, that's myopic to the fact that you've been actually manipulated to have this opinion about this certain kind of food or lifestyle. Right. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, for example, I was in uh, Wisconsin many years ago and I, I've i never, I mean, I've been on, but I've, I've never watched the, it's called The View, The View, right? Yeah. That show, The View. I'd never seen it and uh-huh. I was, I had woken up. <laughs> I see where this <laughs> is like, gonna go. Oh, here we go. go so I, w- I woken up and I turned on the TV, I was in a hotel mm. and it, it came on and you know, they're talking and this is early view. This is like years and years uh-huh. ago. I think it was, it was very popular and had, I think just started. So it was the original cast of characters. Right. And- um, Like Whoopi and Barbara. Right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the, and the blonde Republican woman uh, and the, you know what I mean? Right. They had a, like everybody, everyone mm. from every walk mm-hmm. of life, whatever mm. it was. And I didn't know really anything about the show. Turn it on and they're kind of talking, talking, talking. And I'm walking to the restroom and I hear Whoopi Goldberg say, and the PCRM and I'm like, what? And I saw, and, and do you know Neil Barnard? Yeah, of course. So, you know, I've worked with Neil, I've worked with the PCRM for years. Mm-hmm. You know, we do so many projects and things together. And I just stopped me on my tracks. I went, oh my, oh my God, could it be that The View is talking about a group that matters? You know, like a, a really like important group that's really unsexy that no one ever really mm-hmm. talks about, but you know, they should be. Um, and I stop and I'm like, oh my God, this is so exciting. Grab the remote, turn it up. She says the following. She says she's driving back to her house in Malibu. And I guess PCRM had erected this billboard on the way to Malibu. And it was um, in, it was a pack of cigarettes. And instead of cigarettes, it was hot dogs coming out of yeah, the cigarette yeah, pack. Yeah. And it said, you know, 20, yeah. 20 quarter of all cancers or- Sort of a page out of the, the PETA playbook. Right, right, PETA playbook, exactly. Outrage. But But they actually have the science because mm. they are a group of doctors and scientists who are saying, yeah, our independent studies have shown that almost a quarter of all cancers come from smoked, cured and processed meats, right? Fact, Time Magazine is saying this now, the NIH is saying this now, uh, United Nations did reports on this mm-hmm. now. And this is at a time when none of these mainstream agencies mm-hmm. or publications were saying anything about any of this, right? So PCR had already known all this, blah, blah, blah. So they just billboard and, and she says, so I'm driving back to my house and I'm going to Malibu or whatever it is. And she sees this billboard and she was so angry. And she said, how dare the PCRM, you know, put up a billboard like that. She's like, how dare you tell me not to eat hot dogs? She said, you know what, PCRM? She's like, I'm gonna eat more hot dogs. And then she said something like, and I'm gonna give my grandkids hot dogs. I'm gonna give my grandkids more hot dogs now that you're telling me not to eat hot dogs. And I just, my heart just fell into my stomach. And then the the blonde chick, I don't even know her name. She says, I know, I can't believe they did that. And during baseball season. Right. Cut to a commercial <laughs> by, you know, Tyson Foods. Or something well, I'm like, like is that. she getting paid by Oscar Mayer? Yeah. Why are you defending them? Yeah. Like when they do billboards that like have a ticker tape about how many people are dying from alcohol abuse or cigarettes or- But or, Maggie, or, this is the American way. 
isn't it? You can't criticize, you know, my lifestyle choice. Like that's the problem, right? Like, so that goes to the heart of like, what does it mean to be an American or what are my values? And doesn't it? And that disconnect between like, just just take it for what it is. This food is not good for you. Well, he's offering information too. Like I'm telling you how to live. Nobody's trying to take your liberties away from you. Well, this is what I'm saying. And if you're telling me that almost a quarter of all cancers are coming from this, you're also telling me that cancer is coming from cigarettes and all the rest, I'm not mad about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's. I mean, in in the movie What the Health, the the thing that, that it was the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. isn't there a scene where they do the same thing? They mm-hmm. put cigarettes in the hot dog bun or something like yeah. that, and that was what provoked all the ire and you know a sure. huge backlash. Like sure. it's, and you know, I'm sure Keegan did it on purpose, yeah. knowing that would happen sure. because that becomes a talking point Absolutely. and gets more people to pay attention to the movie. Right. But people don't like that. I know, but let's have a healthy discourse about it. Like mm-hmm. let's let's talk about it, right? If right. you're angry, tell me why you're angry, and then I'll tell you why I care and want to provide this information. Mm-hmm. And that's really all it is, because I, we all know for a fact that when you feel better, you do better, and there's a there's a residual effect to that feeling, you know. And when we're we're sick and dying, and we're in our the state of chronic disease that we don't belong in, um. You you know that people aren't in a place where they can do better, not only for themselves but for others. It's yeah. it's just it, there is an effect. It does matter, you mm-hmm. know. And I I mean I have a supplement company and we, we center on gut health and we talk about mm-hmm. diet and changing diet and probiotics and right. what they mean and why they mean. And it's funny because like, you know, I mean I would say in anything I do in my career, I would say that makes me the happiest when people say, I feel better than I've ever felt in my life and I want more people to do this and I wanna change more people's diet and I'm gonna then go to my family members and my significant other or my coworkers and say, hey, this really worked for me. You've gotta eliminate some stuff Mm -hmm. from your diet and be better and do this and that. that to me matters more than anything Mm because you make someone feel better. Yeah, and what what I like about it is your approach is you're passionate, but you're also not, Overly dogmatic, like your your probiotic oh, company. You partnered with our friend Frank Lipman, yeah, who like is not vegan. No, and I always have. I know we were talking about this before. Yeah. Like I always have these spirited arguments. They're with him great because he can't wrap his head around. No, like why I would be vegan or no. why I keep. Doing no, he's like you're still vegan. Like yeah, you, you and know, he's like, my doctor. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm as like, I said, you have, I have another doctor who's although he exactly told me not Frank. too long ago that he was he was moving more in the plant based direction. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he'll ever get there. But like my my point being you partnered with a doctor who doesn't necessarily co-sign your mm-hmm. dietary no. perspective. That's exactly he's a right. Integrative medicine doctor. And he's a great guy and he mm-hmm. he helps a lot of people. I he love sure Frank, does. Yeah, right? he really but does. At what point, you know, I think I think at some point like the, the dogmatic approach works at cross purposes with the larger goal. Mm-hmm. And we're fighting on the margins mm-hmm. about like whether honey is vegan or not, sure. when most people, you know, to bring it back to, they're trying to kill us, mm-hmm. are lining up at at Burger King and right. you know killing themselves That's unnecessarily. Exactly. And this is where our focus and our attention should be. That's it on the on the broader, more important things that are going to change the masses and are really going to mm-hmm. you know um, create systemic change because the demand is there, right? Educating people enough to mm-hmm. where we can create that demand, I think, is is everything. You know, and not discounting, as we talked about earlier, it's very important not to discount anyone, where they are, what they do, how they live. 
Um, it's not okay. Everybody is where they are. And, and anyone who, you know, wasn't raised this way or who didn't, you know, really understand the lifestyle until they tried it and it worked for them and they're happy with it. Um, none of us can deny that we were ever in that place. Mm-hmm. We were absolutely in that place. Yeah. And, and no one wants to be told what to do or lectured to. And if there is a, you know, like going back to the PCRM billboard, uh-huh. like the reaction on the view is, <laughs> comes from this idea that you're they're being talked down to, you know. Well, and and here's what's so even more fascinating than any of it is whatever reaction you are choosing to have is you. It has nothing to do with what's being told to you. Absolutely nothing. Because you can choose to take it however you want to take it, right? Mm-hmm. You can look at that and go, hey, that's hey, that's that's interesting information. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna read a little mm-hmm. more on that because I didn't know that. And mm-hmm. that okay, that's a certain person. But if you want to make a choice to be defensive about it, gauge how open your door is yeah. or your window. That's you. Well, that applies to everything right it, now. Literally as as everything. We, you know, become so siloed in our respective, you know, information right. sectors, and one hundred percent. The most obnoxious thing you can say to somebody is like, "I did my research. You do your, you know." Sure. And yeah. There's a lot of that, and you know, we obviously we see this in politics, but sure. that applies to everything. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, even in relationship, it's like uh-huh. I may hear something from my partner that I don't want to hear. And it may adversely affect me inside, <laughs> but at the same time- Welcome to being in a relationship. Right? But at the same time, when I can remove my wound from the situation mm-hmm. and look at it objectively, it is always something I can do better, Yeah, always. But you have to, be, you have, to have self-awareness around that right. wound, right? True. True. Well, you have to know Short you're coming that, from a wound. Yeah. You have Otherwise, to know you're that just that reaction. Reacting, you're reacting impulsively. Correct. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and and as a female, you know, I'm a very emotional female. There may be females mm. out there who aren't as emotional as I am, but I would say we're the emotional contingent mm. of the two. And for me, um, I always say to my friends, I say, don't do the thing you're good at. Right. So I'm very emotional. I'm an empath. I have all these things. Like. I'm already good at that. I don't need to do that. What I need to do is remove the wound or, or at least put the wound aside uh-huh. and be able to look at what's happening, what's in front of me very logically um, and, and have a different perspective on it. Yeah. Because I can have an emotional reaction to it. That's normal, mm-hmm. that's who I am. But I don't wanna be who I am. I'm already good at who I am. Right. I wanna be better than who I am. So for you, what is that wound? Um, I think I, would say at the heart of it, it would be probably worthlessness. Mm, that's so interesting. Yeah, I would say that's the crux of everything. Yeah. Because going from a person who is, was at one point really defensive to a person now who like is completely open to criticism and invites it um, is, a, is, is, complete, is night and day. I can't even tell you. Mm-hmm. And it also, the growth is also night and day because when we get stuck in our story and like, you can tell yourself whatever story you want. I mean, you can be a, a six and tell yourself you're a 10 and you're gonna get everything a 10 gets, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can also be a 10 and tell yourself your entire life that you're a four mm-hmm. and you will be there. Mm-hmm. You will not move past that point. Mm-hmm. So, so what is it that you did to, to climb that mountain? 
I think a lot of reading helped has helped me a lot. I mean, there are certain people who have perspectives. There's a book called Letting Go. There's another book called The Untethered Soul. Uh-huh. That's really ultimately about freedom, right? And when you think about freedom, as it were, as a, as an internal concept, we we can be prisoners of whatever we feel we're going to imprison ourselves behind. Yeah. But we also are, are, are the human mind and, and the human spirit is so resilient and so incredible that if we decide to make those changes, they're made. They, they are absolutely going to happen. And so there's no more excuses in my life where if something's not happening, that it's someone else, number one, someone else, mm-hmm. something that I didn't invite or something that I can't change. Mm. There's just, there's no, if you lived your life in any situation that you're in, whether it's a fight with your wife or husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, a friend, a coworker, and you always look at yourself and try to, to take the road from what you feel to your wound, mm-hmm. whatever it is, whether it's worthlessness or, or ego or vanity, whatever it is, you will find that connection and you will understand that it is you. Yeah. And that's hard to take. That's a very AA thing. I've is been it? in recovery for a long time, but yeah, essentially you you do an inventory over sure. a situation and you mm-hmm. identify what your part is. Absolutely. And, and, and that part generally tracks pretty closely with some character defect 100%. that is created by some wounding or some pain that dates back as far as you can remember. It's really true. And you're gonna attract, you're gonna attract lessons and teachers uh-huh. and people who come into your life to hold that mirror up to you and say, yeah. well, you don't like this about me? Well, guess what? Well, the more you ignore or deny that this is a thing, the more it's gonna come up and the, yeah. re- the sort of repercussions of that are gonna continue to escalate until the universe has your attention. Until you've learned that lesson. <laughs> yeah, There's exactly. a philosopher, his name's John Demartini. Uh-huh. Um, and he says, whatever we run away from, we run into. Right. So there's there's really no, I mean, you've got to solve it at some point, right? right? And solving it is you, right. it's always you. But here's the thing about energy that's exciting about this. As hard as it is to hear the things that you don't want to hear and make the changes you want to make, if you're always focused on yourself, you don't have to do anything to, to see the changes in the person or the situation around you. It will happen by virtue right. of you changing, right? right? That's a universal truth. That's 100%. a spiritual truth. It's a spiritual truth mm-hmm. and, it, and it is a game changer and it is foolproof. Mm-hmm. There's no way you change your energy and you say to yourself, I've really got to fix this problem in me and that around you, the energy doesn't change. Yeah. Impossible. The problem is most people are externally focused and they think, well, if I just trade up on my relationship to this other person, that's going to solve the problem. But that's, yeah. that's, that's tantamount to just keeping the blinders on. And you know, it's a, it's a mechanism to avoid having to look at yourself in that way. Well, that is what it is. Cause, cause what is looking at ourself? It's painful. No one wants to it's be in pain. Wor- no, it's the worst. It's the worst, but, but guess what? But the pain what? is what gets you to do but, it. But here's the thing, we're always yeah. in pain, right? So it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just sort of like, you can either put the bandaid on or you can go deep and you can have many mm. years where you're in a lot less pain than you are now. Yeah. If you Was focus there something internally. that like, was this just a slow evolution for you or did something happen that made you do a little bit more internal work than you would have preferred? I think it was, well, number one, it was definitely a slow evolution because yeah. it was like book after book after book after, uh-huh. you know, t- 
talk about a journey. I mean, you really have to journey and and take what it is that you learn and apply it. So it's not just mm. about like being a bookworm or being intelligent. You have to have an EQ, yeah. you know, high enough to absorb what it is that you're you know doing and being able to assimilate it into your life and then into your actions. But I think that as a young person and then going out there in the world as a teenager and having like sort of to, to make it on my own, there was a lot of pain I think that I carried and a lot of forgiveness that had to go on in my life. And part of that journey to forgiving the people in my life that I felt I needed to forgive mm. was um, understanding them. Mm. And that was really it for me when I realized that, and I really don't know what did it, but I went, well, if, if I can't have a perspective on the why of who they've been to me in my life, then I'm never going to be able to forgive them with a whole heart, right? Mm -hmm. Because without understanding, how are you gonna forgive, right? Mm -hmm. I can't, because then it's a surface, it's a band-aid. It's a, yeah, yeah, I forgive you because I wanna feel good in this moment. Mm -hmm. But if I really understand where you came from, and not that you had no choice in it, not that you, but we know that life is hard. We know that being in the body is difficult, right? And being in the mind is even more difficult. And so if you can really, you know, look at the pattern of someone's life and say, well, they got to this point with no tools. And then without those tools outwardly express themselves the way they did, because there was just nothing, you know, it's like mm. having all like the, the, the sheet rock and the, this and the wood and everything. And you're like, I'm ready to build my house. Yeah. And there, you, there's not a nail in sight. There's not a hammer in sight. Like it's, it's nothing's gonna happen. You know, you're rained on. You're gonna, yeah. So you know, if you can recognize that people don't have the tools, it takes a lot of stress off of taking things personally. Right. But forgiveness is tough because it requires you. Like, there's, there's for a lot of people identity is built on this resentment that you hold towards this, how this person or family member wronged you in a certain totally. way. Yeah. And it's scary to let go of that because what would that mean? Like then suddenly I have to take responsibility for this yes. or if I forgive them, yes, maybe I'll feel better, but this whole construct upon which I've kind of crafted how I see the world and myself right. crumbles. Well, that's what it is because you don't get to be a victim anymore, mm -hmm. right? And it's being a victim is a really safe place to be because there's always an excuse for why things aren't working out. And there's out a dopamine hit with it. There's a like dopamine it, hit it with can it. Be, it can be very intoxicating to like indulge in that. Indulge in that. Yeah. And, and it is, and people do it. And that's why they turn to alcohol and drugs the way yeah. that they do. But I think one thing that you just said that's really important is that I, I, I think that people view forgiveness as... Um, letting someone get away with what they did, right? Like it mean, if I forgive you, it's okay what you did. Mm -hmm. It's not even remotely true. Forgiveness is your own personal freedom. And that's all it is. You no longer are held by this act or this person because the truth is the act, whatever it was they did to you is over, right? It's never gonna happen again, because it's done. The only thing you take with you is the emotion. Mm -hmm. So you're carrying that emotion with you your entire life. And then there's a point where you go, I have to let go of this emotion because I need my freedom back, right? Right. I mean, you're the one who's suffering. That other person the, may be completely unaware. They might not the, even know. Yeah. That so yeah. basically, you're punishing yourself. 
you're punishing yourself yeah. your entire life. So do you want your personal freedom, right? Can you have faith in the process that if you forgive someone and you have that freedom, you know, you're going to gain the thing that you couldn't see, mm -hmm. you know, that which you have a belief in that you never thought was possible. It's only possible once you truly forgive. Mm -hmm. I'm a big advocate for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I, I think it is the most healing emotion you can have. Mm -hmm. And the only emotion that's light enough to live with. <laughs> right. Well, look at you, you could be a therapist. I'm ready to like <laughs> sign up right now. <laughs> If this acting thing doesn't work out, yeah, this doesn't you know, work Tom out. Cruise, just, whatever. Yeah, go into like you right. know, forgiveness advocacy full time, full time. Um, uh, yeah, it's a journey, isn't it? Right, yeah. because it doesn't matter who you are. There's some somebody or something you have to forgive. Yeah, everybody. And it's easier to do that than hold on. Right. I wish people would do it more, honestly. But we delude ourselves into thinking the easier path is to hold on to it. Like there's a, the, the power of that, right? The, well, the ego it's, is is complete, I think, with yeah. the human body, like mm -hmm. in the human mind. Like we, we again, back to patterns, right? You see these patterns with people where it's like, where are they holding on to their ego? Like, what is it? Which part of their ego is holding them back? And what is it that they value most where that their ego is driving, uh -huh. you know, is like taking that train, it's left the station and you can't pull them back from that, right? So identifying that is, is, is key. Yeah. Because you can't really be free if there's ego behind anything. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you really have to. I think it's a constant battle for me. It's a daily battle of looking at something. If I'm saying something to someone, if there's advice I want to give, it's like, what is this rooted in, Maggie? Right. Is it rooted in like you having more knowledge? Is it rooted in you being right? Is it rooted in how someone's going to perceive you? Like, what is that? Or is it completely genuine? And if it is, Great. Is that process, do you think that process is easier or harder for you given your public profile? Like when you're a celebrity or you're on billboards and all that kind of stuff, obviously it's very easy for your ego to get outsized, mm -hmm. but that also brings it up. Like it puts, it makes it very present. Like, oh my God, like my ego, my attachment to this identity mm -hmm. and how other people see me and my future, you know, career trajectory in mm -hmm. Hollywood, like, that makes like you're in the business of ego, right? So you're forced to confront it in say, a certain yeah. way in, in in a manner that like a normal civilian wouldn't. Right. So to me, it feels like it can go like, because it's so present in your life, it can either really go horribly wrong or it compels you to face it and work through it so that you can have, you know, a healthier approach to life. Mm -hmm. I think luckily, you know, as far as the Hollywood thing goes, um, I think my my saving grace in Hollywood like has been like that worthlessness, that feeling mm -hmm. of like that that void, that thing that I can't fill. So, right, because if 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 I have if I'm like you know in the Tiber with Tom Cruise and I still feel like worthless, you know, like right, then really there's something that I need to look at, there, right? Right. So then, it doesn't make any sense, right? And so that's a struggle. And then I think in the personal that's where my ego has been tested the most, like not professionally, but actually personally, because, mm -hmm. you know, I think you, you get into relationships and it's funny because when you love someone, for most people, it's more important to be right than it is to have peace, Yeah. right? And, and I don't think that's worth it, right? And there was mm -hmm. a time where I was just a, such a, you know, as a, a somewhat volatile person where 
that really was where I was at. It was like, I think for most of my life, I felt wrong. I felt like I didn't belong. I didn't deserve. I didn't all these things, right? So wherever I had the power to have that, I wanted it. Mm. You know, whether I was gonna be in relationship Mm -hmm. or friendship, whatever it was, like I was gonna take my power back in that specific area. And and that's all ego, right? Mm -hmm. Because, but it's also, you know, you know, the only time that we really, and someone said this to me, this is not mine, I wish it was, but the only time we really get offended or defenseless and it really affects us is when something affects our our self-perception, mm-hmm. right? So- Or there's 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 just enough uncomfortable truth in it that it th- This that is it what it is. It pushes that button yeah. because like there's something I perceived about myself that is now being messed with. And that right. self-perception is so strong. Whereas like, oh, okay, let's say I'm Maggie and I'm, I'm like the happy person, right? And then somebody said to a coworker of mine, you know, she's a little grumpy the other day. And you hear that and you're like, what? I'm not grumpy. Uh-huh it's messing with my self-perception. I see myself as a very happy person. And so how dare he say I'm not a happy mm. person? I'm happy 99% of the time. And yeah. why would he perceive me like that? Why does it matter? Why does it matter how someone's perceiving you? That's your own self-perception well, that's protected on, by ego. Yeah, you're holding on to this identity that you're a happy-go-lucky person that gets along with uh, everybody. Exactly. That's being challenged. That's right, and that's that, being challenged. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. isn't it amazing that that's something that to your point, we've built up. Right. I built that about myself. No one's like, no one's happy all the time. Uh-huh. No one's fair all the time. No one's any of these things all the time. So to even have a self-perception that allows for that is uh-huh. all ego. Right. Like, how can you call yourself one thing? It was ridiculous. So it's interesting breaking down the self-perception. That I think has been mm. the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. Self-perception in my personal life, mm. not even in the public. Like for me, I, I sort of have come to terms with, you're never gonna, you're never gonna please the public. It's too big, it's too vast. There's too many categories, too many opinions. Like, to, to, I feel really sorry for the people who, you know, I have friends, celebrities who like, they're on the, they're reading Instagram. All oh stuff. my God, I can't yeah. even imagine. I'm like, are you are you kidding me? No wonder you're always anxious and in a tailspin. They're always thinking about, right. I, don't, I don't read any but of you, that. It, it seems like you learned all that when you were overseas though. Like you, I did. you had to no, learn you're, that you're the hard way right. before you know, Instagram became Instagram. I was like that when I'd be up for like a big like commercial campaign, I wouldn't get it. And my agent would call or my manager and she'd say, oh, I'm really sorry. They gave it to someone else. I'm like, okay. And she's like, oh, it was a really big job. And I'm like, yeah, right. okay, I, what am I gonna do? Mm-hmm. Like, what is my fear or frustration or anxiety going to contribute to a situation that was never mine? Right, but if you're in that, you know, to use your description of feeling, uh, you know, this, this worthlessness, mm-hmm. you know, the, the undeveloped soul will mm-hmm. crave affirmation of that worth. Like, tell me why I didn't get it. Tell sure. me all the things I did sure. wrong. And sure. like, oh yes, yeah, see, I am worth, like you're, you're Were affirming. you looking for proof? You're affirming that. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. And that's what traumatized people do. Right. They look for proof all the time. And mm-hmm. that's why when you're in a relationship with a traumatized person, I mean, any relationship, intimate or business, whatever, you know, if you're looking for proof, you're gonna find it, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you if you want to feel a certain way, no matter what someone says, they can be like, "Hey, you want a coffee?" And you're like, "Why'd you ask me like that?" Right. You know I mean, there, there's always <laughs> something yeah. to look for uh-huh. that 
that that proves to you, I knew it. I knew he didn't like me. Right. I knew he wasn't happy I was here. Right. I knew she didn't care about me. Right. You know, whatever it is. Pushing everyone away. Th- that's a that's a it's a prison that I've I know, I've lived it. Yeah. I don't live it anymore, thank God, but like I, I know it really well. And I think that I think it's something that is the great equalizer. I think right. we all at some point in our lives are looking for that proof. Um, some people look for proof that they're amazing, mm-hmm. you know, like like they think they are, mm-hmm. and they become very successful. <laughs> so <laughs> it does yeah. it does turn out well uh-huh. for some people. I have right. to say, you know, even if they're delusional, uh-huh. I mean, it's kind of like the fake it till you make it mentality. Yeah, but I mean, they they have the smarts to back it up. I mean, they obviously can. It is funny how the human mind, like, if somebody just carries themselves like they know what they're doing, like, we'll just get on board with that. Well, you know, you know? that whole thing when you walk into a <laughs> yeah, place that yeah. you're not supposed to be in. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, those people that broke into the White House, right? When the Obamas mm. were in the White House, mm. and they, they just walked through the front door. Right. No one even checked their names. They were like, "We're here for the party." Right. And <laughs> you know. Likewise, if Tom Cruise walks into a room, like everybody, you know, it's like, I'm sure there's an, a crazy energy with that. Crazy. That that guy's crazy. carrying. Yeah, the room goes know? completely silent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a, an attention to that, uh, which walked right. into the room that's complete. <laughs> <To> that, <right. laughs> you know, like right. there's no mistake right. who it is. Well, I do think that you should start a psychology podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This is going to be your new thing. Your <laughs> new thing. Yeah. I just, I've always sort of like the way that I've moved in life with friends or whatever. Like, I'm figuring. Are you out, the friend that your friends call up who need to be talked through something? A hundred percent. Yeah. But but that. but that's also because I have compassion, but I also I do have a logic mm-hmm. to to, and I will tell you if right. there's you're you can good, give the feedback. Right. If you're making a move that's not good for you, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you because I love you. I mean, mm. if I didn't love you, yeah. I wouldn't care to have the conversation, mm. but I just, I think that for me, be, because I've struggled in the way that I've struggled. And it, when I see people I love struggling, I don't want that for them. Yeah, of course and not. so I'll do anything that I can to, 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 so that they don't have to feel the things that I've felt. Right. And I think that's it with all of it. Animals. Being, being the best kind of empath. <laughs> right, exactly. Right? Channeling yeah. something that's actually worth something. Yeah, cool. You know, because so you sit in a room and you just feel bad all the time. Like, I, what's the point? No, nobody wants that. There actually that. is no point. <laughs> nobody wants that. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's wrap this up. That Great. was, uh, you're amazing. How <laughs> that was inspirational. Fun. That was really fun. Yeah, cool. I really enjoyed that. And Romeo enjoyed yeah, it too, clearly. He did. I know. Oh my God. <laughs> he's the chillest. He's awesome. Uh, German Shepherd. And I've he's ever seen. young. Mostly, we were talking about this before. Like, most German Shepherds are very kind of like manic. They can't make eye they're contact anxious. really. And they're, yeah. they're always kind of circling and pacing around. But I think he's he, also just swimming in being the only dog right now. Yeah. Because I have another he's shepherd mix at home, and then I have attention. a little terrier named Don Julio, uh, and right. as yeah. you might imagine, Don Julio gets a lot of attention. Yeah, he's ridiculous, mm. and so I think he Romeo, feels a little like Romeo's getting. Yeah, he, he Romeo, he needed this and he's today. getting all his man fill. There's so many men here. Uh-huh. He's just like, yes, <laughs> right. he loves. He's with me all the time. Well, he's he's like, oh, no. welcome anytime. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, but well, he's coming cool. back then. Um, cool. Well, come back and talk to me again sometime. Well, let's That's do it. Super fun. Yeah. Um, so in fun. the meantime, Maggie's easy to find on the internet at Maggie <laughs> Q everywhere. Uh, keep up, Q E E P up. Is it keepup.com? It's uh, keepupnation.com. Keepupnation.com. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And anywhere else you want to 
direct people, point I mean, people. Keep Up Nation would be awesome because we have a blog about food and health mm-hmm. and lifestyle. And we have a lot of veggie recipes and different things on there and self-care tips. And Frank Lipman as well, our, our buddy has, has also um, given a bunch of like anti-aging, all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. on there. You know, we're just talking about stuff that we hope people wanna know about. And yeah. the information is free. You don't have to buy anything. Just go to the blog mm-hmm. and read some of the stuff we're doing because it's, it's only gonna benefit you. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. That was a delightful. Thank you experience. so much. Thank this you. is the most professional yeah. podcast atmosphere I've ever been in. It's hard to be a pimp. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta step it up, man. It's hard out there for a pimp, yeah. huh? <laughs> All right. Peace. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. For links and resources related to everything discussed today, visit the show notes on the episode page at richroll.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on YouTube. Sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends or on social media is of course always appreciated. And finally, for podcast updates, special offers on books, the meal planner, and other subjects, subscribe to our newsletter, which you can find on the footer of any page on richroll.com. Today's show was produced and engineered by Jason Camiolo. The video edition of the podcast was created by Blake Curtis. Portraits by Ali Rogers and Davey Greenberg. Graphic elements courtesy of Jessica Miranda. Copywriting by Georgia Whaley. And our theme music was created by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Harry Mathis. You can find me at richroll.com or on Instagram and Twitter at richroll. I appreciate the love. I love the support. I don't take your attention for granted. Thank you for listening. See you back here soon. Peace. Plants. Namaste.